tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome to Wednesday's Tip Today. Coming up on this morning's show, the Justice Minister survives a vote of no confidence, a referendum on constitutional references to family, care and the role of women in the home will be held next year. But what exactly does it mean and what are we voting for? We'll find out more later on this morning. A team of paranormal investigators capture a picture of a ghost at a Tipperary castle. The Monster Hotel car park in Thurles is to stop operating as a public car park. Gardaí launched their road safety campaign for Christmas. We'll hear more from Eddie Golden later on. We'll have a special Christmas edition of Hidden Histories with Conor Reedy coming up. And Alton Nesbitt, our gardening expert, will be joining us later. So if you have any questions for him, you can text or WhatsApp to us now and we'll save them for him for the end of the show today. The phone lines are open. Emma is standing by 1800 or you can text or WhatsApp 83 Our competition today, we're also giving you another chance to win vouchers for Christmas shopping in Thurles. We have a 50 euro voucher to give away on tip today every morning over the next couple of weeks. Today's vouchers are for Boyles on Liberty Square and also for Michael's Jewellers at Westgate in Thurles as well. So if you want to be in with a chance to win a voucher for either of those, you have to listen out for a cue to call. If you can't remember what it is, here it is. It's Christmas in Thurles. So when you hear that, that's your cue to call. You can text or WhatsApp your name and where you are in the county to be in with a chance. And we'll be announcing the winner just before 12 o'clock today. So a lot to come between now and 12 noon today. Coming up first, uh, we're going to talk about the government's, uh, I suppose, victory in the dull confidence vote yesterday. Justice Minister Helen McEntee got through by 83 votes to 63 Follows, of course, significant political pressure following the recent Dublin riots. This no-confidence motion originally tabled by Sinn Féin. However, the government tabled a counter-motion expressing confidence in the minister. They were expected to pass. It did pass. Uh, Sinn Féin, if you're looking at the papers this morning, seem to have come out the worst from it. One of our listeners, Helen, joins me now to discuss it. Hiya, Helen. Good morning, Annie. How are you? I'm good, Helen. Good to talk to you this morning. Now, I don't think there was ever any doubt that she was going to get through this vote. Um, what do you make of it? For you personally, do you have confidence in Helen McEntee as Minister for Justice? I couldn't have less confidence in her than, than if I tried. Tell me uh, why. Uh, two very, very strong reasons. Uh, no, actually, sorry, three. One, uh, because of the growing violence in Dublin, City, and she has said countless times that Dublin City is safe. She has said this when she was surrounded by Gardaí as her escorts. So anyone surrounded by the Gardaí would be feeling pretty safe. Mm. She finally admitted after that horrific incident in Dublin, the stabbings and the riots and looting and burning, that maybe there were a few issues. I mean, God. The, the ridiculousness of it, I don't know where her head is at. The next one is her 
um, doing her her inaction with the Gardaí vote of no confidence in Drew Harris. You know, mm-hmm. It was over 90% vote of no confidence. That is very serious. But yet, with the level of arrogance that seems to be... Um, seems to be part of our government. She has blatantly, blatantly ignored us. And the next thing is that when somebody who is not an Irish national commits a serious crime, they need to be deported. And if there is a deportation order, what does she say? Deport yourselves. Yeah. Now, that, that, that's ridiculous. When I was in secondary school, there was a teacher who used to say to us, go up to Sister Benedict and report yourself for insubordination and insolence. Wow. Now, yeah, I know. And I used to, I loved those words. But, because um, I was often insubordinate and very often insolent. Good but, for you, Helen. Yeah, I, I haven't lost it. Good woman. But none of us would do that. Yeah. Who will go report themselves or who will go deport themselves? The woman seems to be hands-off rather than hands-on. And right now, this country is going to pass and we need hands-on to deal with the myriad of um, situations of unrest and violence because it's becoming worrying. I would not go to Dublin now. At no all, way. at all? No, no way. My sister, who used to frequent Dublin, she's an hour from Dublin, will not go to Dublin. Today is her, her daughter's 48th birthday. She will not go to Dublin. She's afraid. And is she afraid because of experiences that she has had or is she afraid because of what she's seeing and what she's hearing reported? The second one, because of what she's seeing, what right. she's hearing reported and what her son and daughter have seen in Dublin. Can you tell me what they have seen? They have um, seen people being beaten up, just walking down the street and the next thing a gang of young fellas just... And young ones, not just, it's, not yeah. just, it's just not a male crime. Um just set upon somebody who's minding their own business. Um, cars turning in on bicycles, knocking uh, uh, cyclists off their bikes. On purpose? No, on purpose. And the Gardaí can own, in all honesty, the Gardaí can only be in one place at one time. They cannot be everywhere. Helen McEntee seems to think that they're great and they're everywhere. It is well known and well documented that the number of Gardaí leaving the force is increasing. And any little attempts she's trying to make to, and, you know, trying to get sound bites about mm. how so many more are being recruited. Well, as quickly as they're being recruited, they're gone. Yeah. And what, what annoyed me about her was her hypocrisy a little bit, because during the whole vote of confidence in the Garda Commissioner with the Gardaí, she was very clear that she was very behind the Garda Commissioner and didn't support the Gardaí and what they were doing. So wasn't backing them in that. But then when it came to the riots, it was, oh, I'm fully behind the Gardaí now and everyone has to be behind the Gardaí. So you can't be one or the other. No, you can't. And the fact that she actually did that to the Gardaí, that she was in favour of the Garda Commissioner, who is not doing his job properly, um, goes to show her... It is either her complete lack of understanding or her complete arrogance. It's one or the other. Now, maybe she socialises. I'm only saying maybe now, Ali. Yeah. She socialises with Drew Harris, so he's a pal. 
I don't know. I don't know what they'd be pals now, to be fair, but I'm sure they have a good working relationship. Oh, I'd say they have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Helen, that was an awful I, comment. I, I, I just realised the way I said that. I don't, I don't mean anything inappropriate. No, Helen is not <laughs> suggesting that there's anything inappropriate going on with that. No, Helen, I know, I'm not saying that when he sees her, he says anything that yeah. I say will be taken down and held in evidence don't against worry. you. And she says my suit. So, no. You'll be brought up to the nuns again for that, Helen. Oh, Lord, and an insolent. That's it. What do you make of this Sunday Independent poll then that came out? And Fran has been discussing it all week where. 53% of people who were surveyed don't blame her and don't feel that she should resign over the riots. There was a lot of kind of suspicion over that poll. What do you make of it? I may I go with uh, the suspicion end of things. A poll is dependent on the people with whom you speak. Yeah. So if you go to if you go into the Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael chambers, they will for the most part say yeah, we have every confidence in how the guardians are held, how are running everything, and how Helen McEntee is acting as minister. But going to uh, Sinn Féin, where you'll find something different. So it's going to depend on who was polled, mm. and the that paper actually has always, always been. Um, I you know, I will use this expression. I've always described it as a West Brit paper. I have always described it as a paper that is not for the people. Really? It used to be, but it's not. No. Wait, wait. This was the paper that looked for, called on the death of the men of 1916 who, um, you know, who went out there to fight for our country. Mm. The editor of that paper, that ethos has not changed. You feel like there's too much political interference in the paper? I think so. I, I feel now Tip FM and I would imagine other local radio stations, but certainly Tip FM stands out as not being led by the government and is not a government mouthpiece. Most media and certainly RTE is. And they will go with whoever is in government and what they want said and don't rock the boat and anybody who, rock, who rocks the boat is a troublemaker, a distractor and a conspiracy theorist. And what did Helen McEntee describe Sinn Féin's motion? Distraction. Yeah. The sheer arrogance of the woman. Instead of going, I need to look at myself and see what is going on in my department. What can I do? She decides to say it's a distraction. And the arrogance of that when our country is in such terrible trouble there was a time when I loved going up to Dublin and I could amble around and feel quite safe. And now, no. And she is destroying the tourist industry. She's uh, undermining so many people and with absolutely no thought about um, the damage she's causing to the country. It's about her. Helen, I know there was, there was a caller on with Fran during the week and he made the point that even if Helen McEntee were to lose that vote last night and she was to step down or be removed from office, whoever would replace her would be following the same policy anyway. So does it matter who the face is? I think that um, that there may be an element of truth in that, but she appears to me to be the worst minister ever. She makes absolutely no changes. It, she seems to be oblivious to what's going on around her. Mm. And there's no doubt but changes have to be made. And I, I, I honestly, I was thinking about this this morning, Ellie, and I thought really um, our um, the Taoiseach should ask Helen McEntee to step down. 
and put in another minister because that might have appeased people for a while. But instead, there wasn't even an interest on his part in this. You know, Helen, there's I a listener here. Remember, he didn't even appear to us. No, there, there's a listener here who's saying that you're a Sinn Féin activist. I'm, first of all, I'm not Sinn Féin. Absolutely not. In fact, 100% not. I left Sinn Féin a few years ago because of bullying, and I will never, ever join that party again, and I will never, ever vote for Sinn Féin again. Are you affiliated with any party, Helen? Are you just no, an observer? I'm, no, I'm just the only party would be a birthday party. That's the only one I'd affiliate myself to. So whoever said that I'm a Sinn Féin activist remembers me in the days of Sinn Féin but isn't up to date and might need to kind of update their um, their resume of me. Right, so you would have been. <laughs> I would have many years ago. Back, back in 2016, I certainly was, but I'm long gone. Yeah. Um, I would say I'm Republican. Right. I, want, I, I am saddened to see what is happening to our country. And how we are beginning to seem to slip into being uh, second or third uh, class citizens. The first class citizens being our TDs. Helen, can I ask then, and I don't mean to pry and tell me to mind my own business if you want to, but if a vote was called then tomorrow, do you know in your head who you'd vote for? Yes, number one, Matthew McGrath. Right. That, that's it. Absolutely. And as you saw, there wasn't even a hesitation. Number one, Matty McGrath. After that, if there is no other independent in whom I'm interested, Michael Lowry, no way he is with Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil, whoever's in government. I don't think, I think if Sinn Féin gets in next time, he wouldn't vote for them. But Michael Lowry, no way. But Matty McGrath gets my number one. But and some people would say by voting independent, I mean, it, it it's often a waste of a vote because, I mean, they're, they're not normally people who will have any power in the doll or have any decision-making power. We need to have far more independence so that an independent vote really makes a difference. But I will vote Matty McGrath because voting for the other shower is, for me, a waste of a vote. It is also an insult to my integrity. Okay. Helen, I'll have to leave it there for this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Ali. Have a good day and happy Christmas. Happy Christmas to you. Thanks, Helen. All the best. Just some uh, pats waiting on the line. Just before I go to Pat, I'll give you some um, reaction to that. Uh, Cahill here, very good interview with Helen. I think the illegal immigrants and deportation are the biggest issues in people's minds at the moment. A uh, listener says that lady is right. We're walked all over by government. Those people coming here carrying out crime should be sent the, to their own countries to serve their time. We are sick of supporting them. That's from Kay. Uh, B says it's typical of the politicians in the Dáil voting with the status quo and giving the Minister for Justice in her untenable position. Hopefully the voters will tell them all to go and do one. It's safe to walk around Dublin with armed guards. I used to travel to Dublin 12 times a year, but I won't travel to our capital city now. Barry also says this government will stick together like mud on a mudguard. He didn't say mud, but I, I, I'm just putting the, the family-friendly version of it. Thanks for that, Barry. Keep those texts coming in. 083-311-3311. Pat joins me on the line now. Hi, Pat. Uh, good morning, Molly. Good to talk to you this morning, Pat. I know you've been waiting for, for quite a while, so thanks for waiting for us. What do you make, if you're looking at the picture or at the articles this morning in the papers regarding that vote of no confidence, a lot of criticism directed at Sinn Féin on this, that it was maybe a political stunt that went spectacularly wrong. What's your reaction to it? I totally agree with it, uh, Ali. Um, to be quite honest with you, um, the Sinn Féin leader went out 
immediately after the uh, atrocity that happened above in Skullmwera in Dublin. And she thanked the Gardaí and she praised them for their quick action mm. in uh, turning up at the scene and to secure the scene, right? Um, and then she comes in and she brought a, 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 what do you call it, a table's motion of no confidence in the Commissioner Drew Harris and also uh, Helen McIntyre. But unfortunately, uh, the Sinn Féin leader took advice when that picture of the, uh, the man that was drunk on the steps uh, up the street from the school. And she took advice from a, 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 a conspiracist, a far-right conspiracist, and she, he posted the picture on his Twitter account. This was used by Mary Lou MacDonald and then was used by Louise O'Reilly inside of it all. Yeah. But that picture was taken 20 metres up, up, the, up the road. It can happen anywhere. It can happen yeah. here in town that you see a person down. But that wasn't up to the... It shouldn't have been used, number one, as for a political stunt. Then she came on yesterday, and I think what she done yesterday in the Dáil, she tried to to uh, yeah, create uh, a division inside it by saying that there was nobody inside the schools for the government uh, for two weeks after the, the atrocity happened, the stabbing happened, and that turned out to be totally, totally untrue. And this is where her credibility is falling big time. And I feel that she has shot herself in the foot, excuse the pun, but she definitely has, and she has done untold damage to herself and her party. By, by what she'd done, because it was a political stunt. Now, it was mentioned inside of the Dáil yesterday, and I, 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 I don't know what TD mentioned it, but it was mentioned inside of the Dáil yesterday, and I was watching it all, that um, yeah, it, if uh, Helen McEntee was, um, uh, voting no confidence was agreed enough, right, and she mm. was sacked, this is, is, is uh, uh, support for the far right. Definitely support for the far right. And the thing about it is, when the, when the, the, the riots were going on, there was people have shouting up the way, up the way. Like, are they supporters of Sinn Féin? Or who are they? You know, so like, I, I don't know. I think that what happened yesterday was a spectacular uh, 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 fiasco for Sinn Féin. And it shouldn't have brought about it. And like, when the, when, the, when the opposition, or the, sorry, the government benches looked across at Sinn Féin and started pointing out the front bench of what atrocities of what they had done in their past. Charlie Flanagan stood up, a former minister for, for, for justice stood up, and he named off every guard that was killed by the sister party of, or the sister wing of the Sinn Féin party. Like those things, Patrick O'Donovan stood up, and he gave the most powerful speech I've ever heard inside the door, and I'm not a Fianna Gael activist, but he gave the most powerful speech, he told the truth, and laid it on the line, and the leader of Sinn Féin could just sit there and take it in. I think the trust, I don't know, I'd love to be a poll next week. Yeah. The stories. But you Pat, know. I mean, to be fair, that is an easy rock to, to throw at Sinn Féin all the time, isn't it? I mean, if they do um, stand up on the dollar and talk about violence and say the government isn't do- doing their job, the response will always be, well, look what the IRA did. Look what happened in the North and look what you stood over in the North and what you were a part of. Sinn Féin are, are always trying to not distance themselves from it, but to put that in the past. So is it fair to always kind of beat them with that stick? To quite honestly, if, if they told the truth rather than the shadowy figures that's going around there, like your previous uh, speaker there said that she was a member of Sinn Féin, an activist inside the Sinn Féin, and she gave it up because of bullying. Yeah. Right? Now, there's rumours around that there's four TDs have been asked by Sinn Féin to stand down and not stand for the next election. Okay, well, we don't know And one that, of them is so a we... Munster. 
Yeah, well, well, we don't know the the particulars of that, so we can't really comment on it. To be I fair, I mean, it's speculation it's, it's, and it's rumor. Yeah, but it's also happened down in Cork. I know, but there's also been know. allegations of bullying in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael as well. So Sinn Féin wouldn't be alone in that in in allegations of bullying. To be fair. Yeah, but the bullying that's going on inside of this, especially with women and like that girl that was there previously, was a, she was a firm activist. She said herself that she was a firm supporter of Sinn Féin and she wouldn't get the vote now because of bullying. Yeah, but I'm sure you could you find know, people yeah. across all parties who would say that, who've but had people any have to open, People have to open their eyes. Now, I don't believe, in, uh, to be quite honest, I don't believe in polls. Polls are a thing that... that, that uh, I was polled a couple of times as well, myself here, and... Uh, the first thing was, do you support a political party or whatever the case will be? First of all, they get your age. Then do you support a political party? And because it didn't suit the, the narrative at the time, when I told them that I did, they said, oh, sorry, you're too old. Oh. So what they're doing is they're, they're, they're cherry-picking they're cherry-picking the, 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 the people that they want to poll. And I don't believe polls. I think the, the major poll that's out there is the one that, that uh, is the election. Yeah. Do you think that, that all political parties, Pat, are going to get a shock after the next election? Because Absolutely. going by the, the reaction on the show this morning, a lot of people very, I, I, you know, they're disenchanted. They don't know who to go for. They don't know who's speaking for them anymore. Right. I, now, go back to, to, to Drew Harris uh, episode, uh, what you call it, the guards, um, the 99% or 97% that, of the guards that voted against him. Where I've been pulling the blame inside there is uh, on GSOC. GSOC, where, where the governing body who put it in charge of, of uh, if there was anything done by the Gardaí, a car accident or whatever the case may be, they're the ones that go in to investigate, mm. and to investigate their own Gardaí or whatever the case may be. And the guard, the, the, I'd say Drew Harris was afraid that, that, um, that, that there would be too much backlash and soon of, of, of the Gardaí for over indulgence and use, use of the bat or whatever the case may be, but that has been rescinded. He now was given full uh, support to the Guardian. And uh, I say at the end of the day, maybe the chance that if he does go out and support the Guardian rank and file, right, and uh, if they were willing to pull their buttons on the night of that riot that, that, riot that was above in Dublin and charge into those people and hunt them down one street, come in from two sides, because that riot was planned, that riot was, was, was coerced, and it also was, it was organised because they came from different sides up to the Gardaí and they were overwhelmed by what happened. And that was organised. When you have an organised uh, group of thugs inside there, you cannot hold it to account. We should have had water cannons 10 years ago yeah. and ready to bring them in to the likes of O'Connor Street and just blast them out of it. Because that type of thuggery is not, is not right on the street. And I heard Helen say there that she would be afraid to go to the streets of Dublin, go to Can I ask you because there's a listener um, taking issue with the fact that you're you're you you made the comment about um, the crowd um, roaring up the ra at the time. Now, yes. the listener is wondering: Are you saying then that everyone who says up the ra is far right? I'm not. No. Okay. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. No. 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 But I'm just saying that they may have a political persuasion. Some of them inside. The you don't know when there's a people inside in a riot and they're shouting and roaring or whatever the case would be. They want to shout against the establishment. Yeah. Right? And by doing that, it, it, it is just... Look, when, when people went out and boarding buses, I'm not saying they were members of Sinn Féin, I'm not saying they were members of any political party, they were just thugs. Simple as that. And they, now they will be rounded up. They will be rounded up because 
body or looking at the, 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 the CCTV footage yeah. that's inside it, you know, and, and like it was comic in the one sense. There was a footwear shop inside in Dublin, right? The top class, whatever it was, of, of, of runners being sold inside it was vandalised. Mm. But there was a workwear shop down the road and that, none of them went into there. I know. I was, other people on Twitter making, the, I'll still call it Twitter, making the point that no bookshops or anything were raided either that <laughs> night. It was... <laughs> You know, sure. yeah, sure. I don't know. Pat, we'll have to leave it there. We won't solve it anyway, you or I, this morning, I'm afraid. No, no, but it's about time that, that what do you call it, that, that we opened up our eyes to, to see what's happening around yeah. and see what, you know, we have to give support to the Gardaí. We have to give them support because they're important to have them there. Now, we also have to look at the possibility, too, that during COVID, there was two years that College of Covent Temple Moor was closed. Yeah. So there was no recruits coming in at the moment because of that. And I know there's a few, there's, there's some recruits that are resigning from the force, right? But they're not the figures that people are saying. They're, they're being bandied around uh, of what, of what the amount of... I don't know them exactly myself, but I don't think it's as bad as what people are saying. OK. Pat, we'll leave okay. it there. Thank you so much for talking to us this morning. Pat, all the best. Thanks, Pat. Uh, just bringing you a couple of text messages before we go to the ad break. Thomas uh, was in on WhatsApp. He said yesterday's confidence vote in Minister Helen McEntee reflects a broader need for transformative change in governance. It's evident that the current demand extends beyond a single ministerial position. The call for a new government resonates with the public's desire for comprehensive and impactful leadership to address pressing issues. It's time for a holistic shift that addresses the broader concerns of the nation. Another listener says the issue we have in this country is there is no political party to trust. The Greens have the country on its knees. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have just lined their pockets in the associations involved with their parties. Nothing else matters now for them. It's firefighting until the election and get as many bills to protect themselves across the line. There is no alternative. We can't have a government made up of independence. Keep those texts coming in to us. A lot more coming in. We'll bring them to you uh, over the course of the show. 083 311 or 1800 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today, 1800 or you can text or WhatsApp 083-311-3311. Joe and Thurlis says they can round up the radical left thugs that cause the riots, but they've nowhere to put them. The prisons are overcrowded with non-nationals. The leftists' own policies and laws are coming back to bite them. Labelling protesters and concerned parents as far right is disgraceful. If you disagree with the government, you'll be investigated. Concentrate on investigating the radical left causing violence and rioting in Dublin. We're continuing our conversation on that uh, no-confidence vote in the Justice Minister last night. Liam Brown joins me on the line now. Good morning, Liam. Good morning, Ali. How are you? I'm good, Liam. Good to talk to you this morning. An easy win for the government last night with 20 votes in the difference. What's your reaction, Liam, to accusations levelled at Sinn Féin this morning that it was a political stunt that spectacularly backfired? Well, yeah, it was an easy win, but it was always going to be an easy win, Ali. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go back over the history of the Dáil, only two votes of no confidence in the whole history of the Dáil have ever actually um, passed, you know, there was, and that's back in 1982 and 1992. So it's very, very rare that a vote of no confidence will actually be carried. That's not the way it works. Yeah. But the reality is, is if you get to a situation where a vote of no confidence is put down in a minister in the first place, 
well then the minister should really be considering their position because it's a very very it's, it's not a very commonly used tool uh, it's done to put spotlight on a particular minister and their performance in government or something that they've done particularly bad and obviously in this case there was something particularly bad led to a riot but that's down to uh, Oh Liam I'm losing you a little bit are you there? Sorry, go again. Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, uh, sorry about that. Annie. That's okay. I mean, like I said, a vote no confidence. It's a very rarely used tool. But, you know, I mean, we shouldn't we shouldn't be talking about whether Sinn Fein had a spectacular failure last night or whether Fine Gael had a spectacular victory. That's not what we should be talking about. I think people are fed up with the tribal politics on both sides. Mm. Uh, what we should be talking about is whether or not. Uh, Dublin is safe, whether or not Tipperary is safe, whether or not there's a problem in the Gardaí and there's a problem in the justice system. And I think regardless of what the result of the vote was last night, we cannot pretend that there's not a problem in, in the, the way the Gardaí are being forced to kind of do their jobs without the resources that they need to do them. Uh, we cannot uh, forget the idea that you know the justice system doesn't simply work in this country and Helen McAtee is not doing a good job, to be honest about it. So, I mean... Let's stop waving the flag and let's stop waving the, the political banners and going, ooh, ooh, oh, we, we're going to vote last night. You know, is Dublin safer this morning? That's that's the most important thing. We, we'll, will Tipperary be safer next year because uh, the tribal politics won out last night? I don't think it will. Mm. So I think that's the sort of discussion we need to be having. We need to be having, an, what can we give our Gardaí to look after the, the people of this country? What resources do they need and how do we're going to get it to them? And forget about this nonsensical both to no confidence and then well we won this one and you you are left with egg in your face. People are fed up with that, Ali. Because the Justice Minister doesn't seem insecure in her role. I mean, she maybe it's it's a facade that she's putting on, but she looks like somebody who doesn't have any fear of her future, that she feels very secure. And whether that's because she has the backing of government ministers, it probably is that. But do you get that feeling from her as well? She kind of knows she's not going anywhere. Well, that's exactly it, Ali. I mean, she doesn't have she she is fully secure in her position, but is, isn't that the problem in itself? Mm. I mean, what what does the minister in this country have to do to be either sacked or to be asked to stand down? I mean, the sort of stuff that was coming out yesterday—you know, we have to vote confidence in the minister, otherwise we're going to have an election on Christmas Eve. That that was just nonsensical stuff. You don't have to have an election just because the minister is is asked to resign or stands down. You simply replace them with a different person. And I mean, Arfina Fall and Finnegale truly admitting that with 75 TDs between them, that not one other TD in that in either of those parties could do a better job than Helen McEntee. Because mm-hmm. if that's what they're saying, well, then we have a bigger problem. But do you feel like, Liam, the whole incident and, and the incidents that have happened since the stabbing in Dublin and the riots that followed that, has it been a missed opportunity for Sinn Féin? Because I'm looking at texts coming in this morning and they're from people who said they would have voted Sinn Féin in the next election but they're changing their mind on it. And it's not to do with the vote of no confidence last night. It's to do with their migration and immigration policies. Do you think that well, is what is going to damage Sinn Féin in the long run, not what happened yesterday? I, I think it's definitely something that Sinn Féin are going to have to, to face up to. And, you know, some people are saying that, you know, if they pivot at this stage now, it'll show that they're two-faced. But I think any party should be uh, av- uh, should be available to pivot at any time if they think that the policies which they're following are wrong. Mm. I think in this case, the problem we have, Alison, is that there is a genuine fear about the migration system running out of control in this country. Uh, I mean, what came out yesterday, paying people €75 Euro extra a week to basically live on the streets, is proof positive that the, whatever system we have is not working. But 
you have Fine Gael policy, Fianna Fáil policy and Sinn Féin policy, pretty much the exact same. Yeah. None of the three parties are afraid to have a proper debate. I mean, I'll give Matty McGrath's due. Matty called for a proper debate in this two weeks ago in the Dáil. And Sinn Féin, in fairness, they did support him. But the other parties voted down the possibility of having a debate. We're going to have to have a debate about immigration in this country one way or the other. We cannot put it off anymore because it's getting to a, it's getting to a point where it's, it's almost overarching the rest of the debates that we're having in the country. And, you know, when we have a debate on the health system, people will argue that it's on its knees because of the extra amount of people in this country. When we have a debate about the housing system, it's on its knees because of the extra amount of people in this country. So when are we, when are we actually going to have a debate about the extra amount of people in the country and the effect that that has on the services? But when you have all three main parties pretty much on the exact same side of the argument and afraid to move away from that side, well, then you're going to have other people will step into the opposite side of the argument yeah. and go into the space that's left behind them. And at the moment, all we're hearing of, I, I listened to you just a few minutes ago, hard left, hard right. You know, the vast, vast, vast majority of people in this country are neither hard left nor hard right. Absolutely, they're, they're in the middle. People, ordinary people in the middle yeah. who believe that we vote for uh, leaders in all three main parties to solve problems and not to run away from them, because that's what we have at the moment. We have a complete lack of common-sense approach, and a lot of people say that all we want is a little bit of common sense from our leaders to sit down, understand what's going on. You know, if we can see within our communities that we're, we're, we're having problems caused by this, why can't the people who we elect see that we're having problems with this? And if they're not up to that job, well, then maybe we need to take them out of it. But as you said, like Sinn Féin were likely to win a, a, an awful lot of seats you know, up to, on polls over the last 12 months. And those, those numbers seem to be going down now. Mm. But Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael numbers are not going up. So you have to wonder where the people who were going to vote for Sinn Féin and are not going to now, if they're not going to, and are not going to vote for Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, where exactly are they going to vote? Or are they going to vote at all? But we have to have a, a debate on immigration. That's a given. And if we don't have it in public, Ali, I constantly say this, it doesn't mean it's not happening in private. And it is happening in private in every single household in this country. And I think it's going to become a very, very big issue in the local and possibly general elections next year. What do you think will happen now, Liam? The government will dust themselves off. They will consider this to be a victory and they will go on as they were before. But do you think it will have an effect? Well, I think it has to have an effect, Ali, because if it doesn't, if it doesn't, they're going to get a very rude awakening in those elections I just I just spoke about. Yeah. You know, we have we have a, a policing problem in this country, and it's not the ordinary Gardaí. The ordinary Gardaí are absolutely begging for the resources and begging for the support and begging for the extra extra uh, Gardaí to be on the streets with them to help them to solve the problem. But if you've less Gardaí than you had a decade ago, and you have an extra million people in the country. And if you've less guard stations than you had a decade ago and you have an extra million people in the country, it, it stands to reason that we're going to be bursting at the seams as regards giving guard resources. And that's what's happened. And we now have people who do not have faith in the system. And that's an awful pity because the guard have been fantastic in this country since their inception. But when you, ha- when you see your know, guard leaving the force, when you see Gardaí having to ring their colleagues during the middle of a riot and not go through the management structures, but literally call them on WhatsApp to come up and help them, yeah. well, then you have a problem. And like you cannot turn around and say Dublin is safe. I mean, there was another stabbing in Dublin last night. Yeah. There's videos going around on WhatsApp of guys walking around Dublin with machetes. I mean, if, if we constantly pretend that just because a vote of no confidence was won last night, everything is going to be fine, well, then things are going to get worse again, Ali, and we're waiting for the next... Uh, contentious issue 
to, to cause a riot and not be prepared for it. Now, 99% of the ordinary Gardaí voted no confidence in their own in their own boss, in Drew Harris. Now, in, in, in soccer parlance or in GA parlance, I mean, they've lost, you know, the management have lost, the, they've lost the room. Yeah. They've lost the players. And at some point, you're going to have to think, you know, maybe it's time for a change in management. If even to give the impression that we're at least trying to fix the problem, because at the moment, it seems like it's slipping away. We're pretending Dublin is safe. We're pretending Tipperary is safe. But ordinary people don't think that, Ali. They, okay. they really don't. Okay, Liam, we'll leave it there for this morning. Thanks for joining us, Liam. You're welcome. All the best. That's uh, Liam Brown there. Keep those texts coming in. 083 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. A lot of reaction to our discussion this morning. A listener says when this government formed themselves, they swore they would represent and do the will of the people. They are clearly not doing that. Treason against their own people to please their European friends. It's time for the people to stand up now and get them out. Brendan was in touch with us. He says there's 160,000 empty homes in Ireland. That's more than enough to solve the housing crisis. This crisis hasn't been caused by immigration. Uh, Patrick says, I agree with Liam. We need to sort out the problem and debate. It's one million extra people straining the system. Um, I saw it firsthand myself yesterday. That's from Patrick. Another listener says Sinn Féin and people before profit should join together because they have the same interests. Migration is their only concern. Uh, Jimmy said, wasn't Sinn Féin lucky that the Sunday Independent poll was taken last week and not this week? If it was taken now, they would have dropped another five or six points. Their performance yesterday in the dole was pathetic. Keep those texts coming in to us, 83 311 Liam was in contact with us. He joins me on the line now. Liam, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Good to talk to you this morning, Liam. You were making the point that uh, given the amount we all pay in various charges, that we should have some kind of national health insurance given what we are paying into the system. Tell me, what do you mean by that? Well, for for example, Ali, in, in Tipperary, for example, uh, if you take the average house, uh, detached house, that is, at the uh, 400,000. Now, you, you appreciate there's some houses, say, uh, Starkle Blue and all of them, uh, are 900,000. But just say a detached house, 400,000. You're paying the council every year 540 euros. And what do we get from that? Well, the reason they tell us that they wanted it is because they maintain the roads and structure and things like that. I, I see no difference since that was brought in. I see no difference in the roads. In fact, I see some of the roads and they're actually worse. Pat, are, uh, sorry, Liam, are you talking about the property tax? Is that what the charge you're talking about? Yeah, it's called it's called the L- LPT, local yes. property tax, yeah. or, as we, or as we call it, the LET. Yeah, the, the bane of my ex- life, Liam. I hate that uh, one. Yeah, 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 the local extortion tax. <laughs> but if if you if you take that, and there's sixty thousand houses in Tipperary. That's thirty-two million four hundred thousand every year that the councils are taking in. That me or you see no. No end result for it at the end mm-hmm. of the day. If if we were getting thirty two million paid into our health service, look what the hospital in Clanmel, look what Nina would be like, look at the health service we'd have, the carers we'd have for thirty two million. Now the excuse they needed because the fact that the, the national 
they start giving them a lot. I don't believe that and don't accept that. If you remember, Ali, back in 2004, the behind the contribution uh, charges, the young people building houses. Yeah. So, Ali, if, if your son or daughter wanted to build a house in Tipperary and say for argument's sake, so it's 1,900 square feet, they would potentially pay 78,000 to the council for what? For nothing. The roads yeah. are still the same. When your daughter or son or even yourself drive out on the road, there's no changes on the road. So, uh, it is extortion. It's not property tax or it's not contribution. It's extortion. I believe we'd be better off if we were paying into health service. I personally prefer to be given and even if if you ask me for 500 for national health every year I'd say well that's kind of expensive well actually it's not because our, 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 our one here to the, to the <coughs> BHI is in thousands but if every person in Ireland was paying a national like in America we might have a better system and we might be better looked after. They had a lady on there last week and she was waiting was it three or five years for a simple uh, procedure and she had to go to Limerick Hospital for it. Uh, that's wrong. Uh, if, if private health insurance can get me into a hospital stay within three weeks and another woman beside me hasn't got health insurance and she has to wait three years, that woman is dead, God forbid. So we should have... It's more important for me personally to have a health insurance than... Uh, LPT, local property tax. L- local property tax is a system for giving councillors money to waste. I've seen more statues in every town in this in this country than I've ever seen anywhere else in the world, and I've travelled to America and all over Europe. And I've seen more bloody statues of somebody thousands and thousands of years old. St. Patrick walked across Clanmel, we put up a statue. Uh, Jesus walked across Nina, so we put up a statue. This sort of ridiculous thing is going on. What they're doing is bringing in taxes for extorting money out of people. Now, the Greens are out at the moment and they're out in Dubai and, and they're supposed to be going to save the earth. They have actually uh, secretly uh, bringing in an endogenous tax. I don't know if you're watching an endogenous tax, you no. know what it means. An endogenous tax is where people fatulate. It, it contains hydrogen and methane. And in the ones in the doll, it contains worse. It contains hydrogen sulfide, which is the worst type. So they're proposing that. What next? We'll be actually bringing in a tax to breed. They're bringing in a tax for empty houses. For God's sake. What, what they do is to present something to the people, and we're so gullible we believe it. We're so gullible. In 2004, we believed that to build a house, my sister, Lord Rester, she built a house in, in 1980. And she built it 1,100 square feet. And when she built it, I actually knew the plans of it. I didn't have to go off and get a fancy architect or anything like that. Mm. Now you have to go to local councillors and you have to go to architects and you spend five or 6,000 before you actually send in the plan at all. Easily, yeah. But when she built that house, she got back 5,000 of a grand from the council. Now, turning around, her children are paying eight to 10,000 for the permission to build their own house. That's extortion, Ali. Yeah. That's extor- and we still have no health service. I know, but I know you make the point that we should pay money into the the health system so that people who are able to avail of private health insurance, that people on the public system can have the same benefit. But I'm not sure there's any real benefit to private health insurance anymore. I mean, you're waiting nearly as long as anyone on public now. So any benefit that was with private health insurance, I think, is gone. Well, well, private health insurance, let's, let's, be, let's be fair on this. Uh, there's two main companies in this country and everybody gives out that they're so dear. They're not actually. It's the surgeons that perform the, the operations that are dear. I, I, I have two spinal cord uh, uh, fitted, and they cost 26000 each. Wow. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. And, and at the, they never told me when they were putting in at the end of seven years there were no good has to be taken out. They never told me that I couldn't go along and have a, a what's it called, go through a, a, a what you call the electric thing you go through uh, that has oh, metal yeah, in it. You, yeah, I know what you're talking uh, about. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so to me, health is more important than council wealth. To yeah. me personally, 
because I don't see any benefit. Like, the people of Clonmel has been crying out for years about the water. One minute back years ago, they had too much water. There was flooding all the houses. Now there's no water coming into the tap. I don't believe that councillors are giving back to the people what they're telling us. It's great to talk, but the walk is totally different. For me personally, health is more important than their wealth. Mm. And there's definitely, definitely, if, if everybody was paying health insurance, it wouldn't even be 500 a year if everybody was paying. If if the million uh, emigrants or the 5 million people or whatever it is in this country, I don't even know anymore. If everybody was paying health insurance like in America and other countries, we would have a, a better system and we would more approachable to everybody. Yeah, but I mean, but the I mean, beds still aren't there in the hospitals, Liam. I mean, it's one thing to say everyone should be paying health insurance, but the, the beds aren't there. We're seeing that in the A&E every time. It doesn't matter if you've health insurance or not. Once you go in the doors of A&E, you're, you're still going to wait maybe 48 hours if you're lucky and you're still going to get a trolley for a few days. It doesn't matter. Uh, that, that's part of the problem, Ellie, is not necessarily the hospital. Part of the problem is our politicians not putting enough into it. You saw Nina Hospital, it was gone to rack and ruin at one stage. It was nearly ready to be knocked down. And they had to rethink about it. We know her for, for, for looking after people when they're sick, but not in hospital. Mm. So now they're building on to Nina Hospital. The same in Clanbell and places like that. If we had good politicians and good directions, I mean, you see yourself that children's hospital. That's a scam. Yeah. That's a total scam. It's gone into billions at these days, and it's still not even me built. No, no yeah. We have we have no proper. You had two speakers on there earlier on, and they were giving out about politicians. They nailed it. That's the problem. We don't. We don't actually have leaders. And that's what's the problem in this country the whole time. If we had proper leaders, the first thing is more important in life after food is health. Yeah. And we don't have Yeah. Liam, we're going to have to leave it there. I'm afraid I'm out of time, but great to talk to you this morning. Thanks so much for your content. Thank you very much. Thanks, Liam. Uh, Keep those texts coming into us. So we three three double one double three double one eighteen hundred nine three eight double seven. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. The phone lines are open 1800 938 or you can text or WhatsApp 083 311 311. Phil was in touch to say, I agree health insurance is not what it was waiting periods are growing even with insurance i had to wait months for an angiogram mris are difficult to get also with long waiting periods uh, Joe and Thurlis was in touch to say, I need to respond to your texture that said we have 160,000 empty homes that would solve the migration issue. Can you ask that person if we fill those houses, where will we put the 300,000 migrants that arrive the following year? This is the problem with the left short term thinking. This kind of thinking will eventually bankrupt the country and destroy Irish culture. That's from Joe. Keep those texts coming in to us this morning. Also, keep an ear out as well for that cue to call if you want to be in with a chance of winning two 50-euro vouchers for the Christmas shopping experience in Thurlis. Today's vouchers are for Boyle's on Liberty Square and also for Michael's Jewellers Westgate. Uh, I'll be playing that cue to call, I'd say probably within the next hour. So listen out for it and text in your name and address to us to be in with a chance of winning. And we'll announce the winner just before 12 o'clock today. 
Now, two referendums will be held on March 8th, which is actually International Women's Day. Now, one article will be amended to broaden the definition of family. Meanwhile, it's proposed to remove the text on the role of women in the home and replace it with a recognition of family care. To tell us more about it, I'm delighted to be joined by Jennifer Kavanagh, who's law lecturer at WIT. Jennifer, good morning. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Good to talk to you this morning. If we look at the first one, which is the definition of the family, what is it at at present and why is it being changed? So at the moment, we have just a binary system of you're either married or you're not married. And that poses particular problems, say, for situations where maybe grandparents or uncles and aunts are looking after kids and they are, say, a family unit you have, say, situations where people are in a partnership, have no intention of getting married for their own particular reasons, or maybe one of them is still in the processes of getting a divorce, so they can't be married again um, at, at the time the divorce is going through. And you've had a lot of people in this kind of situation in the middle where they are, to all intents and purposes, they would look like they are a family unit, but because they are not married, they're given no protection because some people might have heard of the phrase, say, common law, man and wife. Mm. That happens in the United Kingdom, cannot happen here under the current constitution because you're either married or you're not married, which leaves situations, say, where people have been in a partnership, say, for 30 years. One of them uh, passes away long before their time is even expected or a will is made. And the other person then is treated as a complete, say, stranger at law. When it comes to pensions, they get nothing. There's uh, tax implications then if they're inheriting property, any of that sort of stuff. So what it essentially is doing is bringing the Constitution up to date with the reality of the way life is now. Instead of the 1937, when it was brought in, comely maidens dancing at the crossroads, and if you're an uncomely maiden, you're probably in a magazine laundry. Yeah. So will that change in definition then, will that give these alternative, I say in adverted commas, families better legal protection then? Yeah, so it's a two-part process. So the first thing is to allow the constitution to be changed. And then after that, then the legislation that backs it up, like the tax legislation, all that sort of stuff, that then can be changed to reflect the fact that the constitution has changed. Because... If you try and do something, say, about someone who's in a partnership for 40 years, about pension rights, straight away you can't change any of that in law right now because the Constitution is your main source of law. For anyone who plays cards, it's like the Constitution is the ace. It trumps everything else. So you need to get that bit fixed before you fix all the other little bits that will make a difference for people then on the ground. Okay, so it won't happen immediately after if this vote is passed? No, but it will have to happen at some stage if it is passed. Because, for example, back in the 70s, we changed the Constitution to allow people who have any degree to vote for Shannon elections. Mm. That has never changed. It has taken one UL graduate to actually take the state to court for the Supreme Court to say, ah, lads, now 50 years, that's pushed it. Now you need to sort, get your house in order. And Now, from that judgment, if we do vote stuff in in a referendum, they can't be twiddling their thumbs now for 50 years to try and get the primary legislation sorted out behind it that they will actually have to, you know, 
get get it on the to do list and get the stuff sorted out a lot faster than they would they could, they would have done before. I've seen some concerns online, Jennifer, from various groups and individuals who are saying that their fear with this referendum, particularly on the definition of family, that it dilutes marriage and it dilutes the importance of of marriage in this country. Do you think it would have that effect and do you think that's the way some people will see it? I can certainly see why people would have that fear, but we don't, we, at the moment, we are talking around the issue without knowing exactly what the wording is because that is going to be coming out on Thursday from the Iraqis Justice Committee and then there'll be what they call an incorporeal cabinet meeting to agree on that. That's basically, they get on the phone to the ministers, they already have the email with it in there saying what the wording is and it's the case, do you agree or not? And if we agree, push on with it. So what they seem to be suggesting is that it'll be it, it'll be more than just a couple that have been going out for six months and they haven't even met their parents, each other's parents yet. Yeah. It's going to be a lasting type of union. It's not going to do away with marriage. Marriage will still be there. It will still be protected. But it will be lasting, long-term relationships, which suggests to me they may be looking at some form of a civil partnership coming in again. So civil partnership was available to two couples of the same sex who couldn't get married under the old constitutional rules where marriage was between a man and a woman. Mm. So gay and lesbian couples would have been in these civil partnerships. Once marriage equality came in, they were upgraded then to full marriages. And it meant that the couples of opposite sex, as a man and a woman, they were never able to get a civil partnership and it was never going to be extended to them once marriage equality came in. So it will definitely be lasting unions of strong bonds. So it won't be diluting it down to just anyone who's living with someone else could accidentally be considered to be in a couple. But it will come down to how the legislation will actually frame this. Because at the end of the day, if you have a couple who are not married and they are living together over a long period of time, one gets made redundant, needs social welfare assistance, they can look at the income of the other person, even though they're not married. Yet, if you were if you're going then to revenue to say, well, I'm actually supporting this other person, can I actually get a tax credit for that? You'd be told no. Yeah. So it is equalising that sort of stuff, which was a very unfair situation if it goes through. But it won't it won't be it won't be diluting marriage. It will be more of a case of possibly, I would say, reading between the lines bringing in a form of a civil partnership because you can't just turn around to two people living together and say, right, you're actually now considered to be in a couple since the referendum came in. There will be primary legislation around it that will actually sort out all those boundaries. I'm just wondering, Jennifer, will this give stronger protections to fathers? Well, say we, we, we see the difficulties that a lot of unmarried fathers have in trying to seek access to children. Will this do anything to try and <coughs> alleviate that? It should, and remember, there's a lot of issues with access as well yeah. for for men when marriage does fall apart. So it would definitely give stronger protections to unmarried fathers, shall we say, because at the moment they have to go through a certain legal procedure to ensure that they're on the birth cert if there's an issue about that. And if there are situations where there is a fight or a problem, you will still have to overcome that but it will definitely make it far easier for non-married couples with kids 
of both or different genders in order for them to have family protections. Okay. When it comes to the other one, then the 40th Amendment, that one deals with the role of women in the home. Now, it proposes to delete Article 41.2 and then replace it with Article 42B. That is uh, That reads, the state recognises that the provision of care by members of a family to one another by reason of the bonds that exist among them gives to society a support without which the common good cannot be achieved and so- shall strive to support such provision. There isn't much about the, the role of women in the home in that, though, really. What does it mean, essentially? So that's what they're, suge- that's what they're suggesting, that they will change it to. Yeah. So the current version is basically women women will be will not have to work outside the home to the neglect of their duties due to economic reasons. Now, we all know this day and age, if you want a mortgage, you're going to have to have both people out working, that nobody, unless they're really rich or they're, they're both on social welfare, has the ability to actually stay at home and mind the kids. We do have uh, supports there, like the homemaker's credit, so you can get your PRSI stamp paid for you by the state while you are at home looking after your kids, and that's open to men and women. Uh, we have the Family Home Protection Act, which was an automatic veto on the sale of the family home by the non-owning spouse. Most people nowadays buy their houses in joint names, so that's not as much of a problem as it used to be. But it's more the the symbolism of, you know, you're a woman, you should be at home, mind the kids, uh, you shouldn't be out working. You know, that could create an awful lot of situations, say, where it's perfect grounds for domestic violence coercive control. We had the marriage bar in Ireland where if you're the public or civil service and you got married you were deemed automatically retired. Mm. All that is thankfully gone. At the time that constitution was coming in, the former women uh, who were in the common demand as an association wrote to Eamon de Valera saying that this article is a disgrace. So it was always there as a problem. But if you look at the current situation, there's many men will actually stay off the stay-at-home to look after the kids because maybe they're actually more maternal than the than the mother yeah. who has a better job and is out working. So personally, I would have said just remove it and be done with it. But there is a very strong argument that, yes, care should be recognised because sometimes when you're thinking about it, you're just thinking about the stereotypical idea that women would stay at home. But no, it's broader than that because you've got you've got kids, old older adult children, living at home with parents to keep an eye on them because they're much older. Uh, you have parents where there's there's say profound intellectual disabilities for children, and I think it's probably right that it is recognised the constitution. The care is something that's important because we all know people who have been say felt like they should be leaving the workforce to look after people and the like, but it also recognises what they do, but hopefully it'll also create a bit of an impetus on the state to make sure there's also proper care there as well. Yeah, but it it seems to leave out carers though, which you think would be an obvious one to include in it, does it? Well, care within the home, that would actually cover carers. Right. So Because if they specifically say carers, that might end up excluding anyone who isn't getting the carers allowance. Yeah. Okay. And for example, the 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 illustration I gave to you of someone who's looking after older parents, they may still be full working, but they might be earning so much they can't get the carers allowance, but they're still operating as carers to a certain extent. 
So could this change in definition then put carers in a stronger position whereby the government is now um, forced by the constitution to protect them and look after them? Now, that is a very interesting point because when we, with the old version that is now up for, refer- up for referendum, up for amendments, women have actually tried to use that article to go to court to get specific protections. And in the higher court, they didn't really get anywhere with that argument because at the end of the day, the entire constitution comes down to what we call the separation of powers, which is the Oireachtas, the cabinet and the judges. One can't tell the other what to do, theoretically. Mm. As we know, the the Oireachtas and the, and the cabinet, they're so closely interconnected. But it is very hard for an average person to go to the court, go to the judges and Tell the judges, I need certain supports, which means you need to go and talk to the Minister for Education or you need to go and talk to the Don and get me more money because one can't tell the other what to do. It doesn't tend to work very well. So this will come into any referendum that you'd be looking at, say, a right to housing, a right to health care. There isn't really much that the courts can do when it comes to, say, getting someone a hospital bed, getting someone a house, getting someone improved care as allowance. And that is where you could end up with expectation problems of people feeling that because we put this in, we can now get all these supports. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily work that way. I'll give you a very good example. The Senate case, Cathy Sinnott went to court looking for support for her intellectually disabled son. They couldn't get anywhere because essentially it would be a judge telling the Department of Education how to spend their budget on education for intellectually disabled individuals and that is where you have a problem okay but it does it changes the optics it changes the narrative because if it's in there there would be an expectation something might be done the reason why the judges don't like making any decisions because firstly they can't do it under the constitution but secondly they know themselves they are not elected and the way they look at it is if you want to change your policy you get onto the government and if you don't like what they're doing you will have your opportunity to vote them out of the next general election, whereas you don't get that with a judge. Okay, Jennifer. So we're due to find out the exact wording of these of, of both of these tomorrow morning. Is that right? Uh, I would say we'll probably be more tomorrow afternoon at some stage because, as I said, it has to go through the Justice Committee and then it will go on to that uh, over-the-phone cabinet meeting, as I call it, for them to agree in it. And then... The process then is that that will have to go through as legislation through the Dáil and the Shannon. It has to be a bill to amend the Constitution. It'll have to be two separate bills because you can't be overly efficient and change loads of parts of the Constitution in one bill. People only get very confused. So it has to be two different bills. They will go through the Oireachtas. Obviously, it'll have to come to us first for us to say, do we want this change or not? And if we vote yes, then it'll go through the normal changes. Uh, But the interesting thing about this referendum is it's the first one we're going to have where we won't be waiting for a referendum commission to be appointed. We already have an electoral commission and they're already working on this from the minute that it's it's been said that they're going to have it. Okay, so there shouldn't be any delays. I mean, they've given the date of March 8th. You don't see that moving at all, no? Well, I would say as, as they've committed to that date, it probably won't change at this stage because they are they have the wording done. The disappointing thing with this referendum is that people have known that there has been 
an impetus to change the wording of the Women in the Home constitutional article. It has gone through a constitutional convention. It has gone through an Oireachtas committee. It was then sent to a Citizens' Assembly. Now it's going to another Oireachtas committee. So if this Oireachtas committee can't sort it out, I'm afraid they'll probably be inventing a new body to look at the Constitution. <laughs> so let's hope it is done and it is finally done because this, this referendum was meant to happen last month, but it didn't, obviously. OK, Jennifer, great to talk to you. Thanks for clarifying all of that for us this morning, Jennifer. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. That's Jennifer Kapner there, law lecturer at WIT. Let us know what you think. Uh, she was very, she really laid that out for us very clearly. Uh, Catherine says this law is disgraceful. God has already laid out what marriage is. It's between a man and a woman for a reason, procreation. Keep those texts coming into us 083 311 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today, 1800 or you can text or WhatsApp 083-311-3311. A listener says there's always an agenda by government wanting to change the constitution by referendum. Because of the total mistrust of the present government, I will vote no on any referendum. Keep those texts coming in to us this morning. Now, a team of paranormal investigators claim to have recorded a confirmed ghost sighting during a stakeout at a castle in North Tipperary. Paranormal Supernatural Investigations Ireland attended Redwood Castle in Lurra in recent weeks, bringing specialised equipment designed to detect paranormal activity in the vicinity. Anthony Douglas has been investigating with PSII for five years. He joins me on the line now. Anthony, good morning. Hi, Alison. How are you? I'm good, Anthony. Thanks for joining us this morning. Tell me, what attracted you to Redwood Castle? Uh, we Well, we hadn't investigated Redwood Castle. And I, as far as I know, nobody had captured anything in of, of notoriety in Redwood Castle. So we decided we'd go down. And we met Kalisa, beautiful woman, very, very nice. And she allowed us uh, into the castle to do an investigation in it. Uh, so we investigated the full castle. And what and, kind of uh, experiences did did she have, or other people in the castle have that that, that they they felt warranted investigation? Uh, well, I can't. I, I don't really know what um, what kind of experiences they've had because there was actually no experiences. There's nothing up online about it, or nobody had ever captured anything there. Just that it was. It, it felt active. That there was stuff happening there. Okay. And uh, so, so what we did is we went along with our equipment, our SLS cameras, our uh, Phasmatron GD Ghost Detector 2000, which is a highly tuned EMF reader and electromagnetic fields, and that points us in directions that we should concentrate on. And in the course of that investigation, we we captured a number of images, and uh, we felt the place was very active, especially in around the chapel area where with the SLS camera we captured several entities as in stick figures on the camera. And they're visible on the pictures themselves, are they? They are, yeah. You can see it if you go onto our webpage there. You'll see there's one image in the window and there's another uh, transparent shadow image like something is trying to manifest. Now, that picture was taken in the upstairs bedroom and it's obviously very dark in the bedroom. So when we brightened up the picture, 
we could see this image in the background and it was it was kind of mind blown really as to what it was. And Anthony, is this the picture that's in the uh, mirror this morning? It's the one of the window and you can see kind of a figure in the corner of the window. Is that that one you're, you're talking no, about? No, <clears throat> that's, that's another picture. We have a number of other pictures there. The other ones are up on, on Facebook and social media. But that picture down in the corner of the window was uh, an image taken by one of the team members. And uh, if you brighten it up, you can see clearly that there is like some... Now, that window is maybe... 50 foot up in the air so there's nobody out the back of it you know yeah because just for anyone who hasn't seen it and we'll put it up on our Facebook page as well later on for people to see but it looks like somebody mm. is peering or the shape of a person is peering in the window but as you say it's it's not a ground level so it can't be anybody looking no, in from outside no it's nobody standing on the ground unless they're 50 foot tall yeah. or something like that. <laughs> which probably isn't possible tell me uh, well, did yeah, you capture yeah. audio or anything like that as well while you were there uh, we didn't get much audio. <clears throat> um, the, mostly what we caught was uh, visual. Uh, we had some some audio, okay, with uh, disembodied voices, but it wasn't, we'd say, as conclusive as what we'd like to um, put it up online and say this is exactly what we think it is, you know. Mm. And can you hear, when you say disembodied voices, can you hear people speaking? What kind of things are you hearing? Uh, you're hearing... Uh, you're hearing like very inaudible type of uh, get out um, requests to do things. They're not, um, I really couldn't say exactly what they sound like because we're still trying to figure out what was said. Yeah. But when you do this, it's an, e an EVP, electronics voice protocol, uh, phenomenon, sorry. So what you do is you, you, you have a voice recorder you ask a number of questions and you wait a specific amount of time for a reply. And then that that session then, after maybe a minute or two, is transferred into a, a sound box, which will amplify it uh, 10 or 20 times louder. So if there is any underlying voices in the background uh, trying to speak through, you can hear it. But it's very hard to... Um, with these type of uh, disembodied voices trying to make out exactly what they're saying. So we're still on the... Because uh, we only did the investigation there a week or so ago, so mm -hmm. we're still uh, trying to uh, decipher exactly what's been said, you know. Anthony, I've seen uh, various shows like this where they do these kind of paranormal investigations, and I know the methods that they use can differ, um, varying from team to team. And I've seen one where mm -hmm. they use kind of a radio that will kind of... A spirit shoot. box. That's yeah. it, yeah. Do you use that? Uh, generally, we don't use spirit boxes. Um, we like to go natural okay. and try and find out ourselves. But we, we have spirit boxes and we do use them. But generally, we try to just, uh, if we can get it raw, rather than it coming through a, a box, which has a radio, um, use, using different types of radio waves to detect uh, whatever types of sounds or radio waves might be travelling around the room at the time. Yeah. We like to try try to do that naturally. And if we can't get it naturally, then we would we, use the spirit boxes. And the spirit box then would obviously give you a prompt of words of the general area as to what we'll say if it was in Redwood Castle. I would say if it was in Lacking Castle, it might say Puka, because the oh, home yeah. of the Puka is known as uh, Lacking Castle. Yeah. So if you were in Lacking, like in Redwood, we didn't really know what we were looking for because there, there really is not much history since 1210. 
when the castle was built by the Anglo-Normans and then taken over in 1972 by the MacEgan clan and refurbished. We weren't really able to find out if there was a haunted history in it. Mm. As I said, nobody else had done anything there before. So we went and we decided we'd go in there with the team. And we did capture stuff so we can prove that there is some sort of entities or spiritual activity in the place. And I presume, Anthony, that you look for logical conclusions for pictures. Oh, we do, yeah. yeah. Oh, we do, yeah. Um, we, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm a bit, um, I would say, on the shelf about talking to you about the disembodied voices because we're not really sure what they've actually said. So yeah. I don't want to, go, so I don't want to go saying what it is in case it goes up online in the future, and I'd be contradicted. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, I understand. So, but did, did, um, what kind of feeling did you get there? Whatever spirits you felt were there, did you feel they were good? Were they bad? Uh, everything, believe it or not, that we got there was good. There was nothing bad. We didn't get any bad feelings. Um, like We believe there's there's a spirit of a woman and a, and a young child there. Uh, that's the evidence that we were getting. Okay. But there was nothing sinister or malevolent uh, coming across to us. Everything was nice and happy and it went off pretty well, you know, so there was nobody at the end of the night saying yeah. that they were getting any any serious uh, um, adverse reactions to it because you can get a very strong paranormal burnout after investigation. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You'd be, you'd be wrecked. You wouldn't be able to sleep for a few hours. You'd be on a kind of a, a high from it, you know. And generally when that happens, that's in a very active place. Yeah. When you conduct these investigations, do they go on all night? They do, yeah. They go on for most of the night. We start off, and usually, the, you know, you start off, you get the feelings that, okay, it's happening, it's going, you can feel it, you can feel the energy, and everybody gets stuck in, and then it can go dead. Mm. It can just, as quick as it starts, it can die off, and then you, okay, everybody takes a break, a cup of tea, uh, sit down and relax and talk about what they've captured so far, and then the next thing, okay, let's go back and do it again. And sometimes uh, it can happen that the second time you go out, it's even better. But sometimes also what you've got in the first 10 minutes, that's it. You know, it can can come and go as quick as that. So you you, you get feelings when you walk into a place, Alison. You get a feeling of that this is active. I can feel energies. And everyone has these feelings. If you're at home at night time and on your own in the house, you get the feeling maybe that there's somebody watching you or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so we get those feelings when we walk into a place with our mediums and we know this is active. And sometimes we've gone into places, Alison, and it's it's done and dusted in 10 or 15 minutes. The energy goes, you can feel it's gone. It's like an emptiness. It's like a vacuum. It's like that there's nothing here to do anymore we'll be as well off going home even though we've the place booked for the full night yeah what's the reason for why is kind of this kind of activity more prevalent at night time why not during the day uh well it, it's it's prevalent during the day also we do day investigations but i suppose generally with those to be quite honest a lot of the people on the team they're it's a part-time job so Fair they have enough, jobs yeah. <laughs> they're working during the day so it's in the evening time when they're finished that we just get involved in it but we do investigations during the day and you do get uh, captures. Yeah, it's, it's hugely interesting. Where is the next place you're going to investigate then, Anthony? Uh, we haven't... Um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. We haven't put anything uh, up online yet, but we have a couple of events coming up in Kennedy Castle. 
Oh, perfect. And that's in uh, the end of January, the first of thirty first of January, the first of February, and they're sold out. Uh, so, um, but in between that, we haven't. Uh, it's coming into the Christmas period now, and people are very busy. Yeah. So. But we, we don't. We haven't any place picked out as yet. It'll all to come. I'm sure you'll have a busy year next year. But Anthony, as far as your, as far from your investigation anyway, you determine that Redwood Castle is indeed haunted. We can determine that. Yeah, there is entities in Redwood Castle. We've captured. There'll be another image going up now um, in the next couple of days on Facebook, and it's quite interesting. And uh, when you see that one, it's, it's, it's a bit better than the one in the paper today, you know. Oh, we look forward to seeing it. Anthony, it was a pleasure to talk to you today. All the best with all of your adventures. Thank you so much for talking to Alison, us. Alison, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, thank Anthony. You. That's Anthony Douglas there from the Paranormal Supernatural Investigations, Ireland. We're going to put a picture of uh, some of those pictures from Outwood Castle as well up on our Facebook page. Let us know what you think. 83 311 or 1800-938-007. Uh, Catherine said, what's needed in those situations is to send in a Christian believer with a Bible and plead the blood of Jesus. These are demonic situations which cannot withstand the blood of Jesus. Jesus. Thanks, Catherine. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. The Road Safety Authority on Garda Síochána and the Department of Transport and Department of Justice are all urging road users to act responsibly and safely when using the roads throughout Christmas and the New Year period. The call was made at the launch of the new road safety campaign highlighting the various benefits, uh, including speed limit restrictions in urban areas. Superintendent Eddie Golden joins me in studio now to talk more about this. Good morning, Eddie. Good morning, Alison. Good morning, listeners. Good to talk to you this morning. As part of this, I mean, we have this every year, a kind of a campaign or an appeal for road users, all road users, to be safe over Christmas. What's different about this year's campaign? Well, I suppose historically, um, you're correct that, you know, every periodically across the year we launch different campaigns and focus. And I suppose the Christmas and New Year period is one of the busiest and high risk periods on Irish roads. And that has been proven, you know, um, this Christmas, again, we're re-emphasising the good behaviour, the lifesaver offences, intoxicating driving, the speeding, holding mobile phones from driving, failure to wear the seatbelts, because these are known as contributors to the fatal and serious injury road traffic collisions. The launch last week of the campaign was in Dunleary in the rehabilitation centre and, you know, there's there's two sides. There's the fatalities, which, you know, get the big number, but mm. th- there's an, a larger number of people who are, you know, adversely affected forever in, in some cases, in a lot of cases, uh, as a result of serious road traffic collisions. And knowing this as well, look, our mission... Um, from roads policing point of view enforcement is one but it's also then to our mission is to keep people safe ultimately and how we do that you know is a combination of interaction with people education trying to get people to do the right thing and we're you know we're a limited enough resource I know it's it's probably popular at the moment talking about Garda numbers and so forth but what we have to do is um, restructure ourselves to be as visible as we can over the Christmas period but also then to reinforce to people that you know this, the, their own decision making has to come into play to keep everybody safe on the roads mm. unfortunately Alison just looking at the stats this morning these are provisional figures we've 172 people who have lost their lives on the roads um, nationally and that's up 30 
um, people from this time last year, and it's up 46 from 2019 figure, which is the pre-COVID figure that we yeah. were going back to. And in to. tip, especially, it's been a very dark year in terms of fatalities. Yeah, we've we, look. It's uh, it's very hard to, I suppose, to quantify. It's quantified as easy. Sorry, with 16 fatalities, you know the rationale and why it's happening to Tipperary. I suppose. Look, it's it's a combination of a lot of different factors. I spoke to Fran about a number of weeks mm. ago, but ultimately we want that figure, and and that's one of our focuses from this period is to try and zero is the figure we need to get to across the whole country, Tipperary in particular and we just want to make sure that people um, don't suffer the, the bereavements and the loss and again all the, the other things that go with a road traffic fatality. So our objective for the operation will be to increase visibility across the divisions and try and mitigate and reduce to zero if possible the risk of fatal and serious traffic collisions um, and again I've brought in some of the apparatus we're using because in order to prevent, investigate and detect intoxicated driving into divisions and this morning Alison I've brought in the the new drug testing device. Now I know we're on radio, so yeah. it's, we're going to have to. Yeah, uh, you might kill me now, but what it looks like? It looks like a pregnancy test. <laughs> That's what it looks like, but it's, for your mouth. It's quite, it's quite similar. Yeah, I suppose it's it's that type of a design. It's in a sealed foil container, yeah. and during the course of the, the period, we've had these now for nearly twelve months. Actually, these are a new drug device. Yeah. We had a bigger machine which actually took longer to test, about twenty minutes. These new devices take about ten minutes to do the test, about eight minutes to analyze. And within that time, your destiny uh, will, I suppose, yeah, if you're if you're clear, you're fine. Yeah. If not, and if you um, prove positive for a number of different drugs, <clears throat> for example, cannabis, benzodiazepines, opiates, um, metanome, uh, anti-antimetamines, um, uh, methamphetamines, MDA, a lot of different drugs. So this device has been developed by the uh, and commissioned by the Road Safety Authority and the Medical Bureau of Road Safety. And I was actually involved at a very early stage of looking at the new type of devices. And some of the feedback coming from people was that you know the test was you know it was a little bit longer than probably could be. And we looked at putting in a new device. So with this, um, it's quite quite simple to use. We take it out of the foil wrapper. Uh, we break the seal on it. We actually then take out um, a part of the actual uh, plastic device. And on that, then, there's three little swabs. Mm. And I just hand it to somebody like yourself, yeah. Alison. Will I do it? Yeah, and you okay. swab inside your mouth, on your cheeks there, and keep doing it, yeah. Inside those things there. And oh, sorry, that's not painful? Not painful, no. And then it comes, it comes back to the guard, and the guard then will place it into the machine. And uh, on the machine as well, there's a little device here. You press that, and that breaks an actual um, liquid that will, uh, a solution, which then starts the actual test process. And then as the test process goes in, we look and we see um, what results come back. And if that's a positive roadside test, that means that you will be arrested and brought to a guard station. And at that stage, a blood sample will be taken, and the blood sample then will be sent to the medical um, bureau for further analysis. Um, and again, it's it's something which are we they found. done randomly, Eddie, or will you do it with the suspicion that somebody is under the influence of something? Yeah, that's a good question. We can do it now at a, a mandatory intoxicated uh, testing checkpoint. So, as inspectors or superintendents within Garishikona, I will. Uh, authorise a number of those checkpoints and you'll see for the Christmas campaign we'll have multiples of these checkpoints. So at that checkpoint it doesn't necessarily have to be a traffic collision or we don't have to observe dangerous driving or bad driving, um, which would have been you know, one of the ways before yeah. this if we were looking at the drug driving aspect of it we'd have to maybe look at the impairment but this test now allows us to um, I suppose 
test somebody who might have come up to the checkpoint nice and, and gingerly up to the checkpoint mm. but when they're tested then if it's in their system they go in to the station and then are tested and then as a result of that you know um up to 12 months um, disqualification and then again up to four years um, depending on the courts how the outcome of it is yeah. so that's just one of the devices that did I pass any? Uh, we'll have to wait another few oh, minutes the other device that I brought in was the, the Draeger so yeah. um, most people are familiar with that I think at this stage aren't they? yeah most people will and you know I do get the feedback from people oh I, I've never blown into one of these devices um, but Look, the chances are over the Christmas period with these checkpoints, if you've nothing to hide, you blow into it. Yeah. Uh, I always say this, you know, if you're drink driving or drug driving on a regular basis, you have to be lucky all the time. We just have to be lucky once. Mm. And if you blow into this and um, again, so this device uh, is quite a quite a, a very well proven uh, device. Uh, you turn it on, you check whether it's a specified or an unspecified driver. So the unspecified drivers will be the learner drivers, the professional drivers who have a lower limit. Right. And then the normal driver as a slightly higher limit and then once you blow into this device <clears throat> that will then test the presence of alcohol in your breath uh, to give us an indication that you could be driving while impaired as a result of that test if it's failed then you will be brought to the guard station you will go and um, into a bigger machine that we have in the station and again these are all calibrated machines and you know the, the drink driving legislation is very well tested in courts you know I've been prosecuting courts for for many many years mm. and um i suppose it's a process it's a fair process if there's a, a problem with the process it's it's found the courts don't um i suppose it's a very difficult one for us at times our files have to be very high standard to get through the court system but in reality we are very successful in courts with prosecuting of drink and drug drivers and as a result of that uh, people who are impaired out on the roads risking the lives of everybody else are facing the consequence of that, which is disqualification mm. ultimately. And, you know, it could be losing your job as well, and there's a number of different um, things that, you know, that can happen as a result of this. But I know what we get, Eddie, a lot into the show is people who observe uh, people who are driving badly on the roads, but they don't report it. Would you encourage people to always report anything they see on the road? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's important that from all aspects of, of crime, uh, including road traffic um, and there's criminality involved in that as well. If you see something on the roads, yeah, absolutely do do ring in. Um, and, you know, we will follow up on those phone calls. Um, our new Garda Safe system as well, if it's a very serious situation and you need to dial 999, please do so. That call will go to the local station. The local station then can assess that and it'll be forwarded on to the Garda Safe control rooms. Uh, if it was here, it'd be Cork, for example, and a unit will come out. So if, for example, you came across somebody over the Christmas period, and, and it's sometimes it can be very obvious, mm. either drink driving, drug driving, could be tiredness as well. I've, I've had of that as well. Somebody has yeah. been very bad. I've stopped the odd car and it's just somebody has been totally overtired. And that's another thing to, to mind, look out for during the Christmas period is, you know, people have been working very hard. Fatigue is another area which we would look at. So overall, um, Alison, during the Christmas period, we're asking people to be responsible for their their driving and uh, make sure their car is roadworthy. Again, the detection side of thing, we are moving forward with detections uh, if we look at the breakdown you know nationally of DUI arrests and drunk uh, while while in charge of vehicles like Tipperary are well up there when it comes to we're ranked about nine in the country for for arrests in relation to to um those type of offenses and again if we analyze again wh where the biggest risks again Sundays um 
are, are high risk in the nighttime period as well. So historically, peak used to be just after the pubs closed, but we found as well that, that has changed slightly because people are drinking at home, maybe coming out then to go socialising. Um, so our checkpoints then are measured accordingly as well. It's not just that we'll have it close to the pub closing time or, or yeah. nightclub closing time. So it's you know it's kind of on a twenty four hour basis. Unfortunately, we're we're looking at it. So, you know, it's our, our focus again is to make sure to keep everybody safe on the roads. And it's a challenge, Alison. Mm. It's it's a challenge. And I think it's one that, um, look, when, when we look at, um, I had a discussion with, with some friends. My, I'm a pioneer. So, Are you? Yeah, when it comes to drinking. Yeah. But the, we had the discussion over the zero zeros, these, these new kind yes, of phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, and I was kind of saying it's, it doesn't really appeal to me as a pioneer because I never tried beer. But yeah. I can also see the appeal of... Um, somebody who likes their gin and tonic and wants the actual you know wants to have the taste of it yeah. so why not do the zero zero option as opposed to the alcohol option or if you want your lemon or whatever it is in your in your drink whatever it is um, and I'm not brilliant on all these alcoholic drinks That's okay. but, uh, but we did have that discussion about you know the point again is, and the, the feedback that um, I was getting from people is it tastes very similar yeah it's exactly the same yeah, yeah. so I suppose the options now to people to socialising are far more and far more sophisticated, yeah. even when it comes to the drink industry. So the drink industry alone have recognised the need for, I suppose, looking at the alcohol and providing a social element to drinking. But that social element doesn't necessarily have to have alcohol in it. Mm. And I'm not saying everybody needs to take the pledge now, because I'd say I, I won't have many, <laughs> I won't have many votes for that one. Uh, and and don't get me wrong, you know, social drinking is absolutely fine, and it's yeah. part of a part of the Christmas period here. And in Garda are not out to spoil anybody's party. But what we're are out to do is to make sure that if somebody is going to take the risk of drinking and driving, or or I suppose creating um, an environment where they're driving is of uh, a level which can. Um, risk others that we'll yeah. be pulling them over having a chat with them um, and more than likely if it's at the serious enough we'll be arresting them and bringing them in and having a chat Okay and it's just to put the message out there everyone just needs to be safe this Christmas and be mindful of everyone else on the roads I suppose as well Yeah we're, we're looking for the for people just to buy into this again yeah. and I know um, people are saying to me oh you know um, you're always on about this and, but I am always on about it and on Garish Connor on about it it's our job to keep people mm-hmm. safe but it's also people's jobs themselves to keep themselves safe you know those decisions you make over Christmas and again if we look at the decision of getting into a car with somebody that's impaired so you've been in the pub you've seen somebody have a few drinks they offer you a lift home there's a there's another option to going home yeah. and again walking home from the pub or walking home from somewhere um, is, is high risk yeah. We've 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 seen that now in Tipperary. We've seen it across the country. Um, there there needs to be alternatives. There's no family member will not get out of bed uh, and come and collect somebody if they needed to. And yeah. I'm sure if that call was made, people would would um, do that. Okay. So again, Alison, I'm I'm hopeful that we have a, a good Christmas period. I want everybody to enjoy themselves, but again, within the limits, within the law, and keep safe. Absolutely, and happy Christmas, Eddie. Did I pass? You passed. Yay! Excellent. Happy Christmas. Ho, ho, ho! It's Christmas in Thurlis. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 2411. Welcome back to the final hour of Wednesday's tip today. I had to laugh at Barry's text when I uh, got the result in on my drug test. Uh, Barry said, good job you don't smoke weed, Ali. <laughs> it is a good job, Barry. Thanks for that. Uh, keep those texts coming into us. 
1850 Barry also texted, we were talking about, uh, to Anthony from Paranormal Ireland, who was talking about the recent investigation they did at uh, Redwood Castle in Nina, or sorry, in Lura, and he determined that it is indeed haunted. Um, Barry said, never seen a ghost or heard unexplained noises in a house. Uh, did hear unexplained noises in a house, sorry, once. Uh, and I've also seen a real UFO. That's from Barry. Uh, tell me about your... I said, he was talking about disembodied voices, which was very strange, and people telling him to get out. So I'd love to hear if you've had any experiences like that. Let us know on the show. Uh, the only thing I've ever really had that kind of spooked me at home was... I remember being at home one night and it was just me and the youngest fella because everyone else had gone away for the night and I'd put him to bed and thought I'd have a nice relaxing evening. About 20 minutes later, he called me up anyway, so I went up to see what was wrong with him and he just said, "Uh, ma'am, a man just walked past my door. I think we should leave now. And that was it. And then turned over to go to sleep and I didn't sleep a wink for the night. He scared the life out of me. I didn't see anything. I don't know if he saw anything. might have been dreaming, but it freaked the life out of me. So we'd love to hear your experiences. Let us know on Tip Today this morning. Now it's time to embark on a magical journey through time for a special non-Tipperary episode of Tipperary's Hidden Histories. For this festive episode, Connor explores the enchanting world of Christmas superstitions and traditions and he unwraps the stories behind our age-old customs, discovering something of the mystery that has shaped our Yuletide celebrations. Christmas superstitions and traditions from days of yore. Now, I know what you're thinking. Superstitions during the most wonderful time of the year? Indeed, from Yuletide omens to curious customs, our ancestors certainly knew how to add a dash of mystery to their merriment. So grab a cup of hot chocolate, but not if you're driving, and let's embark on this magical sleigh ride through the ages. This mystical tour involves a tradition that might just make you look at some of your own festive customs in a whole new light. Many of those Christmas traditions you may already be familiar with. We don't tend to think of Christmas in terms of good or bad luck. However, if Christmas Day falls on a Wednesday, then you can expect a good year weather-wise with a bumper harvest. I know you all leap under the nearest bit of mistletoe for a snog at Christmas, but did you know that holly should not be brought into the home until Christmas Eve? More spookily, you should open all the doors of your home when the clock strikes midnight on Christmas Eve. Open all the doors and let the evil spirits out. Don't take too long, however, as you might get a chill for Christmas. And by the way, I didn't add on that last bit myself. It is part of the tradition. Try to be the first to open the front door on Christmas morning. This is considered to be very lucky. A dark-haired man should be the first to enter the house. Until he does, nobody should be allowed out. And on no account should a red-haired man be the first to enter the house. Red hair is believed to be associated with Judas Iscariot. Now, 
I must go back to my New Testament and see where it says that Judas Iscariot was a redhead, but there you go. Also, your dreams on the 12 nights of Christmas are likely to come true. So pleasant dreams. One of the most common themes of Christian tradition and superstition centers around animals. Among the oldest of animal traditions is an old popular belief that chickens know when Christmas is coming. <laughs> I bet you turkeys do as well. And that at this time of the year, the cock may be heard crowing in the middle of the night. It is believed that he is crowing for Christmas and that his purpose is to frighten off the evil spirits. In the southern states of North America, it's believed that the cock would crow at a certain time every night for three weeks leading up to Christmas. Animals have long been associated, of course, with the entire Christmas season, from beginning to end. It was believed that animals were empowered with the knowledge of the onset of Christmas and are given the power of expressing their adoration at midnight on Christmas Eve. One of the beliefs holds that in many parts of the world, the sheep awaken at the midnight hour and go walking in commemoration of the visit of the angels to the shepherds on the hills of Bethlehem. The cattle too are believed to celebrate the birth of the Saviour by kneeling in their stalls. The peasants of Europe considered that the kneeling of the cattle took place on Christmas night. But this was never necessarily witnessed by human eyes. Tradition dictated that only those who were free from sin were permitted to behold this miracle. This European tradition eventually found its way to North America, where it even took hold among some of the Native American tribes. One 19th century writer described seeing a Native American man creeping cautiously through the woods. When asked what he was doing, he replied that he was watching to see the deer kneel on Christmas night, and I quote, to look up at the Great Spirit, unquote. In the German Alps, superstition dictated that cattle did not only kneel in their stalls on Christmas night, but that they were granted the gift of speech. It was regarded to be a sin, however, to listen to them. Hearing them speak would lead to a speedy death penalty. As a warning to anyone who might be inclined to allow their curiosity to override their good sense, it was told that in times past, a farmer's servant hid in a stable on Christmas Eve to hear what the horses and cows would say when the clock struck midnight. Exactly at that moment, one of the horses lifted up his head and spoke, saying in a distinct voice, We shall have hard work to do a week from today. Yes, replied one of the cows, the farmer's servant is heavy and the way to the churchyard is long and steep, remarked another horse. The stable fell into silence, and the servant, terrified out of his wits, fled the house and died some days later. He was indeed hauled to the churchyard by the two horses on the day they had prophesied. The tradition of animals and birds finding human voice at Christmas was not just restricted to the German Alps. Birds were believed to sing the sweetest songs in reverence at this time of year, while the trees bowed down in reverence. Holy wells were believed to receive special powers of healing, and the gates of paradise opened at midnight on the eve of Christmas for all the souls to enter. Here is a Christmas tradition that we may not be so familiar with on the highways and byways of Tipperary. In the past, in certain parts of Norway, it was believed that on Christmas night, men were able to change themselves into wolves. Those with the power to make this happen became the most savage type of beast, 
and they formed themselves into packs and raged against their fellow mortals, often doing more damage than the wildest of the real wolves. They attacked houses, broke down doors, got into cellars, and wantonly destroyed the winter provisions. And as well as that, they drank all the wine and beer they could discover. Only a special prayer could protect the house from a visitation from these werewolves. And so far-reaching was their power for evil that if anyone came upon the site of transformation during the following month, their life would end within the year. Meanwhile in Sweden, it was customary for the peasants to scatter straw about their houses and in their churches during the Christmas holidays. This was done in commemoration of the circumstances of the birth of baby Jesus, being born as he was and laid upon a bed of straw. The straw was scattered about the houses and churches, and this was supposed to possess miraculous properties, and was carefully gathered up by each household at the close of the holiday season. If it was given to the cattle, when they first ventured out into the spring pasture, the holy straw was believed to inure them against sickness. Likewise, if the holy straw was scattered around the fields or gardens, they would yield abundant crops or flora during the year ahead. Closer to home, the hay that had been in the church crib during the Christmas season was believed to have been a powerful remedy for sick animals and protect them from a range of sicknesses in the year ahead. We all know plenty about the use of holly as a decoration at Christmas. Did you know that in the past, if the first holly brought into the home at Christmas was prickly, this meant that the man of the house would rule in the year ahead. If the first holly was smooth-leaved, then the woman of the house would rule. So listeners, choose your holly carefully. And if you're a single-sex household, well, I've yet to discover the tradition that applies to you, but I'm sure there's one out there somewhere. What about food and drink? To ensure that a happy year lay ahead, one had to eat a mince pie on each of the 12 days of Christmas and say out loud the words, Happy month, before taking the first bite. Farmers and cottagers used to drink ale or cider from a large bowl made from apple wood in the orchards on Christmas Eve. This tradition harks back to prehistoric tree worship and was constructed to ensure a good harvest of apples the following autumn. By the way, why and when did we begin sending Christmas cards? The tradition of sending Christmas cards has its roots in Victorian England during the 19th century. The catalyst for this delightful practice can be traced back to Sir Henry Cole, a prominent British civil servant and educator. In 1843, Sir Henry found himself overwhelmed with the daunting task of individually responding to the numerous Christmas well-wishers who had sent him letters. He was a bit of a 19th century Fran Curry. In a stroke of festive brilliance, Sir Henry collaborated with his friend John Calcutt Horsley, a renowned illustrator, to create the very first Christmas card. The card featured a charming illustration of a family raising a toast, accompanied by the message, A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. This small piece of cardboard Adorned with holiday cheer, not only served as a convenient way for Sir Henry to convey his greetings, but also ignited a popular trend. The commercial production of Christmas cards took flight and the tradition rapidly spread throughout Victorian society. The cards themselves evolved in design and content, showcasing winter scenes, religious motifs, and eventually 
the iconic imagery of Santa Claus. The concept crossed the Atlantic to the United States in the 1870s, becoming an integral part of Christmas celebrations worldwide. From that humble first card exchanged between friends, the tradition of sending Christmas cards has blossomed into a global expression of goodwill, connecting loved ones across the miles and encapsulating the spirit of the season in paper and ink. And what about the beloved Christmas tree? The Christmas tree has deep historical roots, with its origins intertwined with various customs and traditions that evolved over the centuries. One popular theory traces the Christmas tree back to medieval Germany. The Germans are credited with being among the first to bring evergreen trees indoors and decorate them during the winter season. In the 16th century, devout Christians in Germany set up paradise trees in their homes on the 24th of December, the feast day of Adam and Eve. These trees were adorned with apples to represent the forbidden fruit and the practice was part of a medieval play depicting the story of Adam and Eve, known as the Paradise Play. Over time, other ornaments such as candles, nuts and cookies found their way onto those trees. Martin Luther introduced the idea of decorating the trees with candles and the custom became popular in the home, where it was referred to as the Tree of Lights. In fact, the origin of the Irish custom of placing candles in the windows on Christmas Eve has been traced and related to this German custom. The tradition gained popularity in Germany and by the 17th century it had spread to other parts of Europe. In the early 19th century, the Christmas tree tradition was introduced to England by Queen Charlotte, the German-born wife of King George III. It gained royal favour when a depiction of the Queen and her children around a decorated Christmas tree appeared in the illustrated London News in 1848. The Christmas tree custom then crossed the Atlantic to North America. German immigrants in Pennsylvania were instrumental in popularizing the tradition in the United States during the 19th century. As the custom spread, it underwent various transformations, with people adding new decorations and lights to create the festive centerpiece that is now a hallmark of Christmas celebrations worldwide. By the way, before I finish up, we're not just all about the festive here on Tipperary's hidden Christmas history. On the last day of the year, the 31st of December, you should make sure that your pockets and your kitchen cupboards are not empty on the big day. This foretells a year of poverty. Oh, and we know that knitting is back in vogue with people of all ages. Do not, under any circumstances, leave any knitting unfinished on the needles on the 31st of December. This is the height of bad luck. And so to conclude, the idea of superstition, particularly surrounding Christmas, was frowned upon by the church and dismissed as religious beliefs arising from ignorance. During the Middle Ages, however, when so much of nature appeared inexplicable, even to the church, many simple superstitions were allowed, providing that they did not conflict with church teaching. And so, dear listeners, as we wrap up our journey through the curious and enchanting world of Christmas superstitions and traditions, we find ourselves standing at the crossroads of history and holiday cheer. From the mystical whispers surrounding evergreen trees to the festival lure of the very first Christmas cards, we've unraveled the threads that weave through time, connecting us to the celebrations of generations past. So as you gather round your own festive hearts, May the echoes of Christmas past add an extra layer of warmth 
to your celebrations. To everyone who has emailed or messaged me this past year in support of Tipperary's Hidden History. To Fran, Emma and Ali and everyone in Tip FM who continue to indulge this quirky historical journey. And most of all to you, the listeners across Tipperary and overseas. I thank you and wish you a season filled with laughter, joy and the enchantment of traditions old and new. Merry Christmas and a very happy new year. Wonderful. Thanks for that, Conor Reedy, and thanks for all your contributions all year. How we enjoy Hidden Histories and look forward to many more in 2024 as well. Happy Christmas to you. Thanks so much for that. Brilliant. The one that stuck in my mind was the, the mince pies for every day of Christmas. Be happy to do that one. Very happy to do that one. Uh, the winner, you're on the button this morning. You all heard our cute call this morning and our winners today. Martin Horrigan in Nina, well done to you. You've won a 50-year voucher for Boyle's Liberty Square. And Mary Hawkes in Temple Tuhi, well done to you. You've won a 50-year voucher for Michael's Jewellers in Westgate. We'll be giving you another chance to win again tomorrow. So just listen out again for that cute call from Santa to begin with a chance of winning. Send in your name and address for tomorrow for another two businesses and another two 50 euro vouchers coming your way tomorrow. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tipperary Arts, funded by Commission Naman, Sound and Vision Round 50. Tip FM, building resilient communities in County Tipperary. Welcome back to Tip Today. The Clubmel Rugby Club's Male Voice Choir will present a Christmas concert in the town on Thursday, December 14th. Now, the event will take place at the Abbey House of Prayer, the place I think we all know as the Friary in Clubmel that's happening at 8pm that night, December 14th. Uh, here to talk to us about it today, one of our regular panel contributors, Mark Small, a musical director, Susanna Bottomer, joins me in studio this morning. Morning, both of you. Morning, how, how are, are you? you all? Morning. Good Thanks to talk to you. Thanks for having our thanks for coming in to us Not to talk about this. Great. I love it. A male voice choir. Mark, give us the background to this. When did this start? This started in 2016 and it was a brainchild of a one of our club members called John Kelly. And he had this idea as a fundraiser. Like, you know, if we get a bunch of lads together and we'd go sing, you know. Love it. <laughs> and you know, it really was. It was all it was club members, older members. Some some players and that, and they all got together, and we did our first uh, concert in Christmas 2016, and I think to the surprise of everybody, we actually did an awful lot better than we thought we would do. Yeah, and uh, the it kind of grew from there then. And in then 2017, we did another one, 18, um, and then 19 was our last Christmas concert before. COVID. Yeah. So we haven't had a Christmas concert since 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 2019, which was our, which our last one. It's been an incredible experience for everybody involved in the choir. I mean, it, from a much more from even a wider perspective, um, it's grown from just club members to now we have uh, people from who are who have no connection with rugby, yeah. but just love to sing in a male in a male choir. Um, our age profile is probably fairly extreme from. Uh, one of our members uh, is in his twenties, and our our elder member would be in his late late eighties. Love it. So it, it, there's a great cross section yeah. of people. Are you in us? Yes, I am. Yeah, no, I I, I am for my sins. Now, I, as a, as I'm an enthusiastic singer, right. I wouldn't be a very good singer. Are no. you soprano or alto then? 
Oh no, no, see the soprano alto that that'd be female. There's bass, baritone, and tenor. So yes, I'm a baritone. I kind of yeah, I kind of I, I can do either. Yeah, yeah, Love yeah. It. No, don't don't start that. No, no sorry. Susanna, start getting upset. No, oh, try not practice. I can see Susanna cringe as I did that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's been incredible for the club, both both as a fundraiser, which is it's it's one of our big fundraisers of the year, and um, that we do, but also from a community point of view within within the choir. I mean, when when people finish rugby. Um, and they finish playing, there's really not a whole lot for them to do within the club mm. bar kind of join a committee or which we try and encourage. But there's nothing that they can kind of come up to the club on a regular basis yeah. and just participate in the club activities. Because you don't want to lose that camaraderie that no. was there. No, and I mean, that's what it is. I mean, you know, it, it is a bit like a team yeah. in that we all pretty well slag each other fairly heavily. Um, there's no prisoners taken within within our little groups um, that we have it. So... But what it has done, actually, it has encouraged um, members to come back into the into the club. Yeah. So members who would have been, say, life members of the club who have who have left, who would just maybe come up for a game every now and then, or you know, would very rarely be in the clubhouse on a regular basis. They're up there every, every Wednesday. We practice. We're up there. We have um, between around thirty odd people would would participate, but we have forty uh, odd we expect on the night. That's brilliant. Yeah, um, and we have the choir total. Choir numbers are sixty. Oh. Is, is any the solos, Mark? Are hmm? you doing any solos? Not me. You wouldn't no. catch me anywhere close to that. But Joe Sheehan, who I think a lot of people would know from around town, is doing is doing a solo, and, and he's been he's been a member, and he was our previous uh, choir director. Wow! So we've managed to keep him on board, um, but uh, he just got so busy. I mean, he's he's also a, a, the rugby development officer, so he just got so busy that he just, he just he just couldn't. And yeah. thank God we we found we found a victim. <laughs> <laughs> who who has an association with the club as well as as uh, as you might explain, um, and uh, it was great, really fabulous that that uh, Susanna was able to step in this year and uh, take on. She's our first female choir director, oh, and uh, <laughs> no pressure. And I, I really don't know how she's putting up with us. <laughs> yeah, Susanna, you're with um, Rockwell Music Academy, of course. Tell, how did you get involved in the male choir? Okay, so uh, for my sins, yeah. <laughs> uh, Joe, Joe approached me actually to to see would I be interested in taking over from him, be, being his successor. And of course, Joe and I go back a long way. Joe was actually a student of mine back in the day. So it's lovely to see things go full circle. Yeah. Um, I am definitely affiliated with the club. My son plays for the senior team and my husband is the current director of rugby there. So Excellent. how do you say no to that game? <laughs> You couldn't. you couldn't. She wasn't Basically going to. She, she wasn't being let out of uh, Costa Coffee without saying yes. Tell me about that first night then that you went for practice with them. Were you going, oh my God, what are we going to do? No, in fairness, I'm sure it was the same the other way around. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's always that getting to know you period. But this yeah. is my, this is my bread and butter. This is what I do. You know, I, I run seven other, other groups. So I'm used to this. It's my day job, if mm. you like. It's my office, just in a different venue. So I, you know, I really enjoy it. Um, like, where would you find, like, so many men it's kind of seems yeah. to be a problem around the country in choirs like recruiting tenors and basses tenors and basses tenors and basses so I actually feel quite honoured and privileged to work with it with a group of, of men like this it's oh. fantastic and yeah. do you find having somebody like Susanna Mark does that improve your performance because she's able to kind of pick out well if you just do this little bit a bit differently now it'll sound a bit different is that yeah the thing? yeah it, it is it is i mean like like any like none of none of us are i mean there, okay there are within the choir there are some there are some people who would have been used to singing yeah i mean we do have some some from very talented singers um within the choir and so they're used to this but for me um and for like a, a lot of us 
I mean, I used to call them the golf balls on the page, which is the little strings oh, yeah. going up and down and the little yokies, the Frank golf Curry balls. Frank is dying in a corner somewhere. <laughs> I, I know Frank's going to go, yeah. But and the golf balls go up or they go down, you know. And the stick is either upside down or right way up. They say, what yeah. is all that about? Oh, that, does so, that hurt your feelings? <laughs> I'm used to it. Yeah. Oh, whole so, life in music, and you yeah. just refer to them as golf balls. I know, but I, so, but we, but you're encouraged, and 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 the way you know it's explained to us, and and the way it's practiced, and that it really makes it accessible for people who aren't singers, yeah, like myself. I mean, I, as I mean, the poor golf ball goes sticks, but anyway, and all those, I apologise profusely to all the music people yeah, out there, yeah. cringing, cringing, yes. So so because of that, then and, and the, the way that Susanna can mix the songs and the song choices that we yeah. have like th- this year um it's 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 all christmas related music um which is fantastic so yeah. i mean it, it is it is a christmas concert the music will be christmas related um um we we have some people some something some songs people will know and and that and some they won't know and some of them are really fun songs yeah um and susanna has really picked them out to to match us because you know, being a male choir, and and I mean, we we do have a reasonable selection across the basses, the baritones, and and the and the pre the prima donnas being the tenors, obviously. Mm. Like, you know, it's a bit like a rugby team. You know, you have the forwards, the backs, <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. So, the and the prima donnas like every yeah. team. So, so Sus- I was going to ask you about that, Susanna. Is it a case you come in, you hear them sing a couple of songs, and then you'll say, I I know what songs now might suit them or might highlight that they're yes, their best parts. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Um, I suppose with this, we were on a we were on a time a time frame and and a tight schedule if yeah. you like I knew that the intention was to put on a concert and we had like eight rehearsals that is um, definitely is that very big, little that's very little really when, when you're learning new material so yeah it is a, a sense of you, you go find try and find a sense of what the group are about uh, what is manageable without being too challenging yeah. um, and I think this is community music making at its best yeah. you know it's really it's actually about the process and not the product. It's about the meeting every week and the social aspect of music and the, uh, just as Mark has been um, describing that inclusivity that when your time on the pitch is done, that yeah. doesn't mean that you don't go back through the gates, you know. Mm-hmm. And there are many kind of analogies between sport and music anyway, you know, come come down to the performance on the pitch or on the stage. And then there's the training that goes in behind that. And to me, that's that's the fun part. That's mm, that's yeah. what it's all about. It's not actually what happens on the pitch because at the end of the day, there's there's a winner and a loser. And at the end of the day, things will not be perfect on the night. Let's let's yeah. face it. Um, oh, you said there will be. I love that quote. You know, by audi- audiences going to a concert, you know, they don't go to see or hear perfection. They go to feel something, mm. and that's what I really hope that we bring to that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That that it hits you in all the right places, and that you'll you'll leave with that kind of uplifting. Why? Why do we sing anthems at rugby matches for the same reason it's to provoke emotion it is to like rouse people and let's hope we have the same effect yeah mm. i never made that comparison before you're right there is a lot of overlap between sport and mm. music isn't mm. there and that's why we mm. use music i have no choice sports. i get like those i live with like yeah. 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 Probably have to write chants every week yeah. for them all something like that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so tell me can i ask what some of the song choices are yeah, we won't let we won't let all the you know no. the the, yeah. the cats out of the bag as they say. It's nice to have nice to have something at that special moment. But you'll hear things like "Oh Holy Night," Love yes, it. which you know, come on, that's a Christmas classic. Um, and then you might hear something like as daft as uh, "Jingle Bells," but our our spin on it. Love yes. it. Yeah. So um, <laughs> yeah, that, ex- expect the unexpected is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I love it. And we have we have we have some great guests as well with, with us. I mean, and and that's I mean part of it is. It's not 
it's not just the choir, but we have some really special guests on the night. Um, there, I mean, Alana, who who who, yep. is, who is fabulous. We have uh, John Kelly, who is coming back. Indeed. And who was the original choir, and who doesn't live? He doesn't live in Clonmel anymore. He's coming back for a a, a special song. Who's oh. going to sing with Joe? So you're going to have the sort of the the yep. the old choir master with with the old person who started the whole thing and caused all this grief amongst us. Um, we'll have Nicole who yep. who will sing as well. But so I mean, we have it, there'll be a real mix. I mean, it's going to be for people who have been to say maybe been to our Christmas or sorry our summer our last two summer concerts which were put on well this the first summer concert was put on because we had to delay a Christmas concert because yeah. of covid um and then the last summer concert we did on as part a part of a three night um or a, a weekend festival it'll be very very different and and certainly for us this year it is very different and and it's a, it's we're excited mm. we're really excited by this and it's certainly being as well being the friary uh, sorry, yeah. The, the, the yeah, the the it, it the friary is going to be very special because you know for people to come back see it being used, yeah. it's you know, such it's going a to be special place. Ah, it's fabulous. Yeah, yeah, the Abbey House of Prayer, as as it's as it's now called, yeah. but I mean everyone in Clamell knows it as the friary. It's going to be really interesting. It's going to be special. Mm. We're also um, there'll be a raffle on the night, and all the proceeds of that raffle are going to to the, to the Abbey House of Prayer and the Friary. So it, we're, we're fundraising for them as well, as well as fundraising for, for yeah. ourselves. So that, um, you know, there will be some tickets available, but on the door, I wouldn't wait to then because, yeah. um, I mean, the tickets are going incredibly well at the moment. We're, we're really happy with the way the tickets are selling. So, I mean, don't wait for that. Um, I mean, if people are interested in coming, certainly don't wait. It will be warm. The heating will be on, so yes. there's no problem that way. <laughs> It'll be good. Um, and if, if you wish, there's tickets in Eldon's. Um, off license and also Dugan Audiology or or people I mean there's there's 40 of us in the choir I'm yeah. sure someone will know someone um, and we'll put up contact details yeah. here then as well Susanna can I ask you is it very rewarding for you to go into a group of men like that maybe some of them have never sung before but always wanted to sing and then they find this space where they're able to do that oh definitely I yeah. often say like you know I chose this career path because it I, I need it like it, it's music as therapy really is is what it is and there there is a buzz from it like yeah. and I'm sure everyone will acknowledge that it is an effort to be there um, and to turn up and I appreciate that because there's a vulnerability about singing as Absolutely. well you know um, and I think for people just to come into the space and you know especially cold winter nights and you know heading up to, to the club and you think oh here we go again and actually when you're leaving your buzzing and yeah. you know and that's again just testament to what what music can do and, and the vehicle it is to to bring everyone together yeah we're not going to get cold feet on the night everyone's raring to go are we <laughs> mark uh, i'm looking at you yeah no i well i, I mean i certainly I, I do remember the first time you know the first because i mean again i, I don't sing but but it yeah. was because it was the club and because of the choir and everything i mean I, you know you wanted to be part of all the groupings yeah and I tell you, I was very nervous the first time, but not that it's old hat now, but certainly, I mean, there's, we, there's a lot of practice goes in. And people don't, I mean, I, I think Susanna was correct is, I mean, what the amount of practice that we, we have to do with the songs um, and then, you know, at home you're practicing and Susanna is constantly putting up on our Dropbox, you know, you know, Tormented. here's the song and, you know, <laughs> and you're going, oh, that, you know. And so so it, it is, there's a lot of work goes into this. Yeah. But on the night, 
<clears throat> I think it's like anything. It's like the team going out. Everyone supports everybody else. And, and I mean, not everyone is going to get... I mean, whoever you're standing beside, you know, well, they're strong in this or, or they're weak yeah. in this. Or or he said, well, like, okay, I remember the words a bit better, but but they remember the notes. And, and then you had, well, I'm, I can't pick this note up particularly, you know, because I don't know my golf ball is the wrong way upside down. Like, what the golf or something. ball against is there? <laughs> like, go again. Why can't it be a rugby ball? <laughs> <laughs> well, he says a stick on. You know, yeah, this is a stick on yes, the top. I, like, yeah, I do use. I do But I, you know, be, but because of that, I mean, the fun and, and I mean, ev- what everybody gets out of it. I mean, I mean, the camaraderie that we have, and and of course, you know, the, part of the excuse is we, we may have an odd drink afterwards. Yeah, a fizzy they've earned it. Yes, yeah, 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 they yeah, have. yeah. Um, You know, it has been known there might even be one beforehand, but that, yeah. but that's you know, you better buy Susanna one anyway. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, there'd be a gallon for Susanna <laughs> afterwards. But for in fairness to what she's put up, but, but I mean, it's, it's it's fantastic. I mean, the way that Susanna's been able to step into it and seamlessly step into it and and be able to bring such a, a fresh approach to what we have been used to yeah. which we're, which we're delighted by i mean and it's a, it, it it will be quite a different concert that people have, have seen before yeah. which which isn't you you know we've got to keep keep it fresh and Absolutely. keep it exciting well we'll look forward to it and tickets available as you said various places and we'll have uh, some kind of more contact details on our own webpage as well and you can contact emma if you want but december 14th 8 p.m. at the abbey house of prayer we all know it as the Friar. We're, we're calling it the Friar. Yes, we call it the Friar. Yeah. We wish you the best of luck with oh, it. It's going to be a great thanks. night. Thank it's going to be. It's going to be fabulous. Yes. Yeah. Oh. And happy Christmas, guys. And happy Christmas. Indeed, yes. we can say it now. <laughs> Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email Tip Today at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the final part of this morning's tip today. Time for gardening now, and our horticulturalist Alton Nesbitt joins me on the line. Alton, good morning. Good morning, Alison. Good to talk to you this morning, Alton. I suppose the final preparations being made uh, for Christmas, a lot of lights going out. Is there anything you need to bear in mind when hanging lights outside and how it could affect maybe trees, plants or the lawn outside? Yeah, really with, with any any electrical pan or, or lighting or anything like that, you always have a, um, a circuit breaker um, for that in case there's any cuts with, with um, uh, clippers or anything like that. So, uh, it's very important to have that uh, attached um, when you're plugging in any any lights. Now, it's very important as well to have them well secured. So, I mean, you have these kind of, um, for the gutters, you have these clips mm. that you can put on, onto the gutters that holds, holds the cable of the light um, uh, quite firmly on, onto the gutter so that you don't get any movement on it. But again, the whole thing with them is just having them so that they're tidy and that you have um, uh, waterproofing seals, uh, containers for, for any, any plugs or anything like that, and always using a, a circuit breaker for any of that stuff as well. Okay. And it, like it's not going to affect hedging or trees or anything, is it? Not, not at all, um, because these are kind of, they're kind of low vo- voltage um, uh, lighting and uh, there's no real heat that comes off them. 
So, I mean, it's always lovely to have, let's say, right outside of the doorway, you have these lovely kind of topiary, yeah. um, uh, um, let's say, uh, pyramids or um, the ball type things or, or the, the box or the U. Uh, and they're lovely dressed with um, the fairy lights. Now, you can get, there's not a lot of Christmas lights that you can get that are battery operated as well, which are very, very safe. And then they can have timers on them. So you can have them on for, let's say, five hours uh, in the evening time. And then they'll switch off as well. So uh, they're, they're quite handy to have. Um, so the battery-operated uh, lights for either side of the doorway are, are quite effective. Yeah. And, and nothing more welcoming, really, is to have lovely lighting, uh, soft lighting either around your patio area or on your, your lovely trees or shrubs just to give that lovely effect. Yeah, it's lovely. Uh, John sent in a Christmassy question for us. He said, I bought a holly tree about 10 years ago, cost €150. Euro. When I bought it, it was full of berries, but there's been no berries on it since. That was 10 years ago from John. Yeah, really, with um, with a lot of hollies, um, they're, they're male and female. So really, uh, if you get a... We have lovely hollies here, in the, almost like the lollipop stick ones. They're, they're particularly nice. Um, and there's a one called uh, uh, Ilex Golden King, which is actually the female uh, variety of holly. Um, and then it, what you would have to have with that or in close proximity is um, Ilex Silver Queen, which is the male um, uh, 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 holly. Yeah. So you really have to have kind of cross-pollination to have plenty of berries on it. Now, there are some varieties. There's one called J.C. Van Tal, which is a very dark green um, uh, holly, which is particularly nice. Not very prickly uh, leaf on it, but uh, it's, a, it's a nice holly. And that has male and female in, in, in one, one um, tree, which is quite, quite effective. But hollies, really, there have been an abundance of berries on the hollies this year, especially with um, uh, the, the, the wild holly that you often see, Ilus acropolium. And that's particularly nice at the moment. With a, with, a, with a massive berries on it. But just to help with pollination or uh, good berries on them, have have the male and the female in close proximity to each other. Uh, so the uh, Ilex Golden King or Ilex Silver Queen are quite good um, varieties to cross-pollinate as well. And is it OK to have them in separate pots or do they need to be planted in the ground together? Not, not at all. They can be, they can be uh, 20 metres away okay. from each other. And uh, the, the bees and, and what, whatnot will, will cross-pollinate uh, uh, away with it. Now, a lot of the, the, the hollies will actually be coming into flower again there'll be um, a second flush of berries on them um, at the moment so you'll see you see the lovely red ones but then you see these little white stars starting to, to form on them at the moment so that you'll have a second second um, uh, cluster of, of berries later on okay uh listener is wondering can you give a name of a climbing or rambling rose to cover an unsightly building really um a, a, well a very good one uh, would be kissgate um, and, and it's quite a rampant rose. Um, it, it's um, uh, Kisskater would be, uh, uh, if you cover a big barn, there's massive, massive flowers out of it uh, during the, the, the summer months. Um, and, and it's quite lovely, uh, lovely scent off it in the evening time as well. It also has lovely um, the rose hits in, in the autumn time as well, which is particularly nice and very good for birds as well. But um, Kisskater would be a very good variety. Um, uh, but it is quite rampant. You, you would really need quite a large building first uh, to, to, to cover because um, um, you can't have that now in a small garden because um, it, will, it will take over. If you go up to, let's say, uh, like, a, like 100, 120 foot and then that wide as well, so it's quite a, quite a vigorous road. OK. A uh, listener is wondering, is it too late to plant bulbs? 
Not at all. If you have bulbs, um, uh, if you still if you still can get them, um, you can plant away, especially in the crocuses or the anemones, um, or even uh, there's a lovely thing called um, Pendula, which is quite a nice one, um, uh, or even the uh, uh, freesias and things like that. And they're quite quite easy to, to, to sow now. Again, plant them twice the depth of the bulb and always put them in clusters of five as well so you get a good display of flowers. Now, there's lovely varieties, kind of the Zimborg, the water type varieties of, of daffodils and tulips and things like that that are particularly good for the borders as well. So the little, the little set of set daffodils or even the, the little um, red riding hood uh, tulips are particularly uh, effective to the frontal borders. Okay. Uh, Tom is wondering, can I use my home fire ash in the garden? Yes, it's very good. Um, it's, usually if you're burning timber or anything like that, like, uh, it'd be a lot of pot ash in it. And that's very good for any of your fruit trees or fruit bushes as well. Um, and it's very, very important just to put a dusting of that along the base of any of your trees or shrubs, just to give them a good um, uh, boost of, of, of pot ash. Um, it's, a, it's a good fertiliser to, to have. And, and again, it's always important to, to use stuff that you have, uh, um, especially any of the ash that you're burning. It's good to um, use that in the garden just to promote tension more flowers. The more, the more potash you have, the, the, the better flowers you get from your trees and shrubs. Okay, and even if you have little nuggets of coal maybe left, is that okay? Uh, coal, that should be fine. It, 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 that's, it, 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 there's no problem with that at all. Again, if you, I need your um, composting or anything like that. If you're doing that, uh, look at the leaf mould or any of your, your long clippings or even the, the hedge clippings as well. It's incorporate all of that in together and mix it regularly so that there's plenty of rages and, and it breaks down into lovely rich compost and use that as a mulch on your beds and borders. Okay, uh, listeners wondering, uh, have off-colour foliage on my plants, what can I do to help them? With a lot of plants, especially things like um, uh, you know, like the camellias, pears, uh, first veins, um, uh, rhododendrons, uh, even the azaleas and things like that, that are going, going pale in colour. Uh, it's usually a thing called a lack of iron. So it's very important to give them a good um, either seaweed-based feed or even sequestering of iron. It's a liquid feed. And that actually greens them up quite quickly and makes them, revives them, really gives them really good, healthy, dark, shiny leaves on it. So I would, would feed with either uh, liquid seaweed or a thing called sequestering of iron. Just gives them really good boost so you'll have good, healthy, healthy foliage on your plants. Okay. Lister is asking, how do I control insect pests on indoor plants? Really, the best thing really is to use um, these sticky traps. Um, um, they're little yellow traps that you can get and you put them on, onto your, your pot plant, um, especially for, for inside. And, and use, use that um, uh, so that you get any of your green fly or white fly that may be attacking your, your, your plants or even red spider might sometimes can get in. So uh, it's a, sticky traps are probably the best thing. But we also have a, a Nurdop um, green fly and white fly spray, um, and that's quite a natural one uh, to use. But generally what I tend to do is take the plants outside, spray them, under, especially underneath the leaves from, from below upwards, and so as you get in underneath the leaves. So often you find around your, your house plant a uh, very sticky substance, and that should be the kind of the waste from the, the green fly or white fly that may be t- uh, sucking sap out of your, your plants. So it's to kind of remove all of that, clean the area where the plants have been, you know, get rid of any, any um, uh, let's just use jade food or something like that, just to clean, clean the area so there's no um, eggs or, or um, bugs mm. um, harbouring in, in the glass panels or anything like that. And then um, that 
put your plants back in again um, after after about three hours or so that, so, so that it absorbs into the foliage. Okay, I've time for one more, Alton. A listener is asking, could you recommend arrangement for pots outside of a church that will tolerate frost? Yeah, I, lo- I love this time of year and I love um, plants that are quite hardy and give a great display of colour, especially, let's say, even as outside of a, a church or anything else, there's usually lovely tropery plants. And really, there's lovely um, the box or the yew or even, you know, like the lovely taxis. So you can get them in kind of in spirals or pyramid shapes and put those in the centre of the containers. And then dress um, the base of the containers then with lovely the ornamental tails, which are lovely um, or, or ornamental cabbages. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, have lovely trailing ivy over, over the edge of it. There's lovely primulas, violas, pansies that can be put in for good colour as well. Yeah, I love a cyclamen as well this time of year because they're so it's, delicate looking but they're so hardy. They're so hardy and even after the hard frost they'll actually bounce back really well. They really are particularly good and they're very vibrant colours yeah. as well. And even have things that are lovely the lovely um, bulbs that you can get is the lovely paper white or the hyacinth for just lovely scent to have it outside the doorway. So as as, as the parishioners come in and um, they, can, they can get the lovely waft in the scent of, of those um, lovely spring bulbs. Lovely. Alton, thanks so much for your advice. Look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks. That's Alton Nesbitt there, a horticulturalist with uh, gardening advice. Any questions we didn't get to today, we'll bring them forward to next week for Alton as well. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks for all your calls and your texts. Thanks to Emma as well, who was on the phones today. Fran is back with you tomorrow morning from nine on tip today. Uh, Stephen is up next with a time tunnel. Oh, and then taking you through the afternoon. Until tomorrow, everyone have a great day. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.